0: Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson, Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson. ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson som lejer så bra som mig. Carlson, 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 Carlson scores. Also. Yeah. Also. Yes. Bad, 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 yes. also. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Gaming Girls of Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the longest running fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who put out more shows than the Colorado Avalanche Play Games. I'm your host, Elon Dubrowski, and with me, as always, is my very good friend, the fantasy hockey robot, the IPP MVP, the Poopov prognostication himself, Brian Com.
1: Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Yes, we are outworking the Colorado Avalanche this week. Last week, we outworked the New York Islanders. And this next week, we're also going to outwork the New York Islanders. A lot of light, weird schedules in the NHL. It's been a very uneven few weeks in terms of scheduling in the league. So we hope you survived while waiting for your players to rack up the GP. And if you have or haven't, no matter what, we're here for you this week to give you all the tips and news and notes and analysis that you need to get your fantasy hockey team in tip-top shape for another week of championship contention.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we're going to try our best to help you out. Also, there's the Stream Scheme podcast. Dave dropped another banger of a show today. So that's going to, you know, go through the schedule and tell you all the players that you want to maybe target because of good schedules and which players you maybe want to let go of. But yeah, Brian, I'm almost wondering at this point. Like, the schedule gets so annoying the way there's like a bunch of teams playing two times, then a bunch of teams playing four times. It becomes so imbalanced in a lot of our fantasy matchups. It's almost making me start to wonder. I know this is gonna maybe be like heresy here, but. Like, maybe we should be playing more of like just a season long total points or some sort of roto thing. Like, uh, lately I've been feeling just like head to head is kind of a bummer. Like, going into the week and already seeing that you're like, well, you know, it's a bummer if you're like down eight games. I know Lewis has already mentioned that I'm playing him next week in, in our keeper league and he's like down eight games to me and John Reed. And it almost feels like, well, that doesn't seem fair. Or I guess if we could do some max games, I know that Fantrax has some more features about you could set like a maximum number of games for the week. I feel like we gotta do something like that moving forward, like with the cupful. This is getting kind of weird.
1: Yeah, it definitely feels bad to go into your week seeing you're a lot of games down. I actually was, I think, 15 games down on my opponent in the like cupful going into this week. And I actually started just planning for the next one because it was a scheduled loss. Lo and behold, my team went bonkers and their team disappeared. And so I actually won the week. But I think this is a very rare occasion, and uh, I have been thinking a lot about what what to do about this. I would love to, like, each week mathematically calculate a reasonable number of games that everybody should be able to have, uh, like, count towards their fantasy lineups points, and then uh, you take your team's best, say, 51 games from the week – and it doesn't necessarily discourage you from streaming to try and improve your team because let's say, you know, your fr- your 51st best game was like a two and a half point performance from a defenseman. Maybe uh, you stream in, you know, your 56th, 57th, 58th games trying to do better than that two and a half point game.
0: Okay, uh, well, that, uh, that, that we be... really pie in the sky here. Like then we'd have to <laughs> figure right. out like, you can't like replace a defenseman game with a forward game. That doesn't seem fair. We'd have to consider the position eligibility for each position. Yeah, yeah, so we'd have to work it all out and then maybe we could save that for a summer show where we brainstorm better fantasy formats. I feel like there are actually some ideas that we can also throw out there that actually exist in the world so we can maybe go through those <laughs> first. But I have so many ideas
1: now. I know, you we talked about, about that on
0: the pre-show. In the
1: pre-show, uh, but for anybody who ever wants to, build us a fantasy platform. don't <laughs> just, just get in touch, okay? okay. If
0: you don't get in touch. Some... Don't get in touch, okay? <laughs> just do it yourself. Like, we're not going to do it. Brian's only can I can't, can't touch do with it us. myself. I want I know, but what to the, do it. What is the purpose? person going to get in touch with us for then they could just do it they don't oh, yeah us. do it and then get in touch oh yeah sure market it to us yeah we'll promote it on the show we'll use it for sure all right so yeah. let's get to the show here today okay so we've got a big plan basically my plan was to go through all the teams and give some like fantasy takes on each team i sorted all the teams by their rank in the season so far and then i got through uh, prepping half the teams and then realized that was already like an hour and a half show so we're going to do the top half of the league this week then we'll do some news and notes at the end from like the major things from the bottom teams then next week we're going to go through the rest of the teams, the bottom half of the league, and give our news and notes from those teams. So that's the plan for today, and we're going to start with the league-leading Florida Panthers, who are 10-0-1. But first, of course, let me just quickly mention that Keeping Carlson is proudly presented by DauberHockey.com, your number one fantasy hockey website in the whole freaking world. I go there all the time. Great articles by really smart journalists, Uh, the Daily Ramblings are a must-read, of course, and then the tools over at Frozen Tools are what I use to prep the show and, you know, strategize my fantasy leagues all the time. So you got to check it all out. DauberHockey.com, Frozen Tools but okay, Brian, let's start at the top of the league, the Florida Panthers. They're 10-0-1. Can you believe in the offseason, I was doing my beat writer interview with the Panthers beat writer, and I was just getting so amped about them that I looked them up, and I saw on one of uh, the websites that I use that their odds to win the cup were at 23-1. to I plopped down, I think, like 40-something dollars. If they win the cup... I'm going win $1,100 Canadian, Brian. So right now that's looking very good because the Panthers can't lose. Even on Saturday when it was announced that Alex Barkov was going to miss the game, joining Sam Bennett and Bobrovsky on the shelf, and they were against another undefeated team in the Carolina Hurricanes. Didn't matter. The Panthers like destroyed them 5-2. to two, Like nothing. That just goes to show, like, how good this team is. They don't even need the depth. Like, Sam Reinhardt was still on the third line, even though they were down their top two centers. So, uh, yeah, let's take a look at what happened in that game. It was a huge night for Anthony Duclair, who, after getting pretty much no power play time on ice all season long, not even power play two, he somehow got on, or not somehow, he got on the second power play just because, you know, there were so many people missing. And then he popped for one power play goal and two power play assists and another even strength assist to boot. So a huge game for Duclair, also potentially making a case for himself to get more power play time in the future considering he was there and all of a sudden he got three power play points duke's been on fire by the way since joining the Barkov or haggy line early into the season we talked about him on the show we said he's probably someone you want to add for as long as he's on that top line i really hope you listen to us he's got 12 points in 11 games right now so brian i got a two-part question for you about anthony duclair to start the show here first of all he's an obvious ad in like most leagues right if he's still available in free agency i see he's only 49% rostered on yahoo so a lot of people listening might have duclair available how can you not grab him right now and just hold at least for as long as he's on the Barkov line, or I guess you could say at least while he's hot, and then probably even afterwards, if he cools down for a game or two, you probably still hold him while he's on the Barkov line. And then I guess the second question though is if you do have Duclair, if you've already added him smartly weeks ago like you should have, is now a good time to maybe try to sell considering he just had a four point game with three of the points coming from a spot on the power play that he usually doesn't get when everyone's healthy.
1: So I dropped Duclair. This is a, an early confession. I dropped Duclair at the end of last week because he only had two games coming up this week, and I was still furiously trying to to add to my games play total. And then, of course, Duclair does like five games played worth of damage in those two games. And now the Panthers have a four-game week ahead, including games right at the top of the week on Monday and Tuesday. And yeah, I'm a little I'm tilting that I dropped Duclair. I also had Barkov and Verhage and felt a little invested in Florida. Anyway, look, I think if Duclair is available He's an obvious add, but I do think it's an even better time to sell him than it is to add him. I actually tried selling Duclair to to my cupful opponents before dropping him. I had no bites then. I think had they known what he'd do, I might have had more success, but I didn't even know what he'd do. And with his point per game plus pace now, you may have more luck selling Duclair at this point. And the reason I'd sell Duclair isn't because he doesn't necessarily hold the spot. Like, why not have him on the second power play? And I could see Duclair holding his place on the top line with Barkov. It's actually pretty funny on the power play. His three power play points in that one game exceeded his entire power play points total from all of last season. He had just had two power play points in 43 games for Anthony Duclair. But the reason why I would sell on him is because Duclair has eight goals on 22 shots for a 36% shooting percentage. Of course, the shooting percentage is high. But the other point of concern for me is that Duclair's shot rates are also they're down a bit from last year they're coming out to about two a game versus two and a half per game um so i part of this might be because he started the year with a reduced role but now duclair's reclaimed that lost time on ice for the time being by getting bumped up to the top line and most recently seeing time on the second power play he's still going to be fantasy relevant as long as he's on line one we don't love that duclair seems to be line dependent but he's held there for a while this year, including for much of last year, too, and was pacing to be a 60 point guy there last season. So I think the the key to remember here is that I still think DeClaire can be a 60 point guy. Um, I don't think he can be more than that on a consistent basis. And the other little ruffle with having Duclair is his downside this year is greater than last year because I think there's a little more competition within the team. We saw Sam Reinhardt start the season there. I don't think it's out of the question that Sam Reinhardt ends up back on the top line at some point. So absolutely add Duclair, but also if you already have him, I would be kicking tires and seeing if anybody else was interested. And maybe you could deal Duclair for someone who has a track record of being a 60 plus point guy. For example, Elon, if you had Kevin Fiala and I had Anthony Duclair, I would make that trade proposal to you. Would you
0: accept it? Uh, so I would rather have Fiala I think that's actually a really good suggestion a good flip so yeah I agree with what you're saying try to sell Duclair but obviously don't be like so excited about trying to sell high on Duclair that you end up not even getting a good player in return right so feel free to tweet it us at Zach Keeping Carlson make sure you're getting good yeah. value one reason by the way to expect Duclair to stick on the line is that like I said the Panthers are 10-0-1 so it seems to be working so why mess with a good thing and obviously who knows if this will last all season and even if it does they can still shake things around but yeah right now it's a good spot I don't like you said i don't expect him to lose it anytime soon so i think we're looking at at least like around a 60 point player and you know right now he's hot potentially better but you're saying like you don't see him like being sustainably able to stay better but i don't know playing with barkov you never know like Barkov's been amazing and hopefully Barkov's by the way back soon uh, Florida plays next on Monday and we still don't have an update so we'll get that on Monday but it seems like the Panthers are fine to just let him rest because they're doing just fine without him interesting by the way that like I mentioned Sam Reinhardt was still on the third line even with the team's top two centers in Barkov and Bennett out he still picked up a power play assist because he's on the top power play uh, though I gotta say the player that's really jumping out at me right now is Anton Lundell he's having a great rookie season right he scored a goal yesterday in the game against Carolina that brought him to six points in seven games uh, Uh, lundell like leapfrogged reinhardt got to play on the huberdo line even with all of these injuries. And Lundell is only 11% rostered in Yahoo. And he's someone, by the way, when in my you know preseason show with Victor Nuno from the Fantasy Hockey Life, where we were talking about some Calder candidates. He said he really likes Lundell. He has like a really high pedigree. He was a 12th overall pick just a couple of years ago. And now he's looking really good. Like I said, what was it? Six points in seven games. Florida, like you said, Brian, has a really good schedule next week. So I wonder if Lundell becomes someone that people should be looking to add, especially with the potential that Bennett and Barkov could maybe miss some more games And Lundell could even play with Huberdo, But even if he's not playing with Huberdo, he's been playing on the third line with Reinhardt. And like I said, and as we've discussed, he's doing very well. So yeah, I'm really into Lundell right now. I think he's got a great future in your dynasty leagues. He's like looking great. Uh, He's from the same country as Barkov. I wonder if we've got a future Barkov on our hands.
1: Okay, I mean, like that's a, There's a lot of Finnish players in the NHL who don't become Alex Barkov, but Anton Lundell, Lundell does have some pedigree, which is very exciting, and it's uh, it's nice to see him have this quick start in the league. The reason that I would be a little cautious about adding Lundell is because he has just 10 shots through seven games. He's scored on three of those 10 shots for a 30% shooting percentage. Uh, Lundell is for sure worth a stream Monday, Tuesday, if you can fit him in your lineup for both games. But he's one of those boomer bust types, at least at this point, kind of like Robert Thomas. He's either going to get you a point or he's not going to do anything for you at all. Uh, But again, I think that the the thing I want to be the loudest about is it's great to see the 20-year-old Lundell finding success right off the hop here in the NHL I'm not sure you know you can find his way into the Calder race uh, just because there's not much more room for him to move up the lineup at least I don't think so but he could be a fun guy to keep an eye on and at least take a chance in in a short-term stream
0: yeah, stupid Lucas Raymond over in Detroit keeps getting points. It's hey, making don't, hard. Call him, don't call him stupid. <laughs> well, it's just like poor Anton Lundell's having a pretty nice rookie season himself. He's like falling out of the race even when he scores a goal because he's not having multi-point games like Raymond over on the Red Wings. Wait, Raymond and Sider. What are the odds that the Calder goes to a non-Detroit player at this point? It must be like 30% or, or less, right? It seems like Raymond and Sider are going to run away with it
1: yeah and Zgrass has faded who was also an early favorite and Caulfield is down in the AHL so it seems uh yeah Detroit is an odds-on favorite to have the Calder land with someone on their roster it'd be really surprising if not don't forget they have Alex
0: Nadalkovich too uh, that's true they also have uh Joe Valeno though he got sent down today so yeah, I don't think he's Neither gonna of be those the guys are gonna
1: win the Calder but Raymond <laughs> and Sider, maybe they'll co-win wouldn't that be cute
0: that would be so cool I wonder what it's like to have your teammate and you're going up against... Do you get money for when... Anyways, okay, we got to move on. We got still... uh How many is it? How many teams are in the league? 16, 32, 60. So we've got 15 more teams to go. So let's keep moving now to the team that Florida beat, which still remains by the this ranking is in terms of just total points. So maybe it's giving a bit of a boost to teams that have played more games. We have Carolina now is nine and one and they were on the other end of that beating. And it was a pretty weird and unfortunate game for them in net because Frederick Anderson finally had like his first bad game of the year. He got pulled after letting in four early goals. Uh Auntie Ranta came in and being Auntie Ranta, I feel bad for him by the way. This is not to make fun, but he collided with Ryan Lomberg, ended up leaving the game. I think Ranta's gonna be out like long term, knowing him. Like honestly knowing Ranta, like maybe we don't even see him for the rest of the season. But uh yeah, so he's gone uh in the meantime frederick anderson came back and he finished the game actually did pretty well so i guess like he just needed a little bit of a rest and then he was able to hold things down you know wasn't able to uh help carolina come back and win the game but he didn't let in any more goals after he came back uh so then today on sunday alex Lyon got called up from the chicago wolves he's been doing uh, i don't know okay two wins in three games only an 891 save percentage it's like brian i gotta say it's kind of like the prophecy that i said as soon as i learned that carolina was going to be rolling with anderson and ranta i was like watch out for alex Lyon. he's going to get NHL starts this year looks like it'll have well he's been called up maybe just Anderson plays all the games though if I was Carolina and Rod Brindamore I'd be a little bit nervous about playing Anderson too much because he you know has had some groin issues recently and maybe you don't want to you know run him into the ground and then all of a sudden Alex Lyon and Etu McAniemi become your two goalies and so it's a bit of a perilous situation for the Hurricanes but obviously Anderson's been good overall hopefully he'll be able to hold the lion's share of the starts but uh in the meantime I don't know. If you're in a super deep league, if you're in a dynasty league like mine where goalies are hard to come by, Alex Lyon's going to get into the Nets. We'll see how he does.
1: Yeah, he's got a really funny stat line so far. Alex Lyon with AHL uh, Chicago. He is 2-1-0. That's good with a 2.35 goals against average. That's good with an 891 save percentage. What like how how are you two want to know with such a low goals against average with such a crummy save percentage? Uh, well, this sounds, sounds like,
0: like doesn't that mean that the team is just like really good and don't let in many shots?
1: Yeah, exactly. Which is like pretty much a vintage Carolina Hurricanes goaltender performance, right? This is what we had going on for years in the Carolina crease. Uh, Lyon is not career, he's a career 893 with 15 starts and 22 total appearances over four years of on-again, off-again duty in the NHL. Uh, Alex Lyon is, hes you know, he might have the upside of being a serviceable backup, but I think that's it. As for uh, who the next best option is in the system, this E2 McNeiemi guy, I Actually, didn't know much about him, so I asked uh, our prospects guru, Victor, who also has the podcast Fantasy Hockey Life, and said that, uh, you know, going by this, uh, this a source he trusts has is as, as being a, having a 10% chance of being an NHLer when you're Lankanen, for example, was. chance at the same development age, but McEnany's had some success in Finland. uh, Hasn't played enough in the AHL yet, but uh, he plays for a very good AHL team. So it's hard to really know what he's like. Uh, I think here's, here's what I think. I think Carolina sees what happens with Alex Lyon. And if it's not working, if he can't play often enough or well enough to back up uh, Freddie Anderson, because, man, that Auntie Ranta injury was so freaking hard to watch, right? It was a cool play for him to try and make, but was not worth the outcome. Like, Auntie Ranta, you know who you are. What are you doing? The outcome, like, it was not unpredictable at all that he was going to get smoked charging out of his crease the way he did. And I thought, we all thought he would get hurt this season. But not like that. Like, you can't be reckless if you're... Anyway, uh, so if Alex Lyon can't step in to play enough games or play well enough to spell Freddie Anderson, I wouldn't be surprised if Carolina goes out and seeks outside help rather than looks at this E2 McAnnie fellow. I think, uh, and my fearless prediction is that Carolina looks to reacquire Anton Forsberg from ottawa ottawa just sent oh. down philip gustafson to belleville for like why he might be the best goalie on the team right now uh so they have an extra i think uh, i think it's a match made in heaven make it happen
0: when you said Anton I was like oh yeah that makes sense because I thought you were gonna say Anton Hudobin from Dallas oh, that makes they sense have, too
1: I mean that makes more sense all another former <laughs> hurricane
0: it makes more sense because Anton Forsberg is not an improvement over Etu McIniemi Anton Forsberg is barely an NHL himself so I think if they need outside help they're probably gonna get a goalie that they could at least somewhat rely on I, I think but who knows maybe you're right well they've uh, had a they've 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 at least claimed Forsberg
1: off waivers before like he's been acquired like nine different times by four different teams
0: <laughs> yeah for sure so okay we'll wait and see what happens Dallas obviously right now does have the goals, but yeah I'm going to just make my own fearless prediction and I don't want to put a jinx on anyone but I, I find it hard to believe that uh, F- uh, Frederick Anderson's gonna say healthy all season as well but uh, no jinx oh, hopefully man. he'll be fine okay so uh let's go now to the Edmonton Oilers who are nine and one this team man like you don't they don't even need good goaltending right like Mikko Koskinen was actually really good with Mike Smith injured he finally put up a stinker on Friday he only stopped 20 of 25 shots against the Rangers but it didn't matter because they're the Edmonton Oilers and they overcame and they won the game anyways six to five that McDavid third period tying goal like OMG right like he just like decided hey you know what I think I want to score right now now uh and then he realized oh wait i can't go into the zone yet because i'd be offside so i was like okay let me just skate around for a little bit okay everyone's finally gotten out of the zone all right let me just go in and walk through four players and go score a goal that makes it look easy like mcdavid's amazing i'm at a point now where the oilers almost guaranteed they're going to give their goalie like a four goal head start and their goalie just needs to be average enough. But anyways, okay, so Koskinen wasn't great in that game and it's interesting timing because Mike Smith will be back soon, it seems. Uh, So Brian, now it's an interesting question because anyone who grabbed Koskinen got a lot of value out of him. I wonder if Edmonton will now... That they're seeing, you know, Koskinen is decent enough. Maybe they try to go 50-50 since Mike Smith is no spring chicken and he's coming back from injury himself. I would imagine the Oilers would be best served if they could get similar results regardless because they score five, six goals a game anyway. Why not just go 50-50 with Smith and Koskinen? So I'm a little bit nervous as someone who has Smith in one of my leagues if he's going to go back to be a workhorse now that they've seen Koskinen play decently.
1: I think in an ideal world, that's exactly what happens, that Edmonton, like Smith is healthy, and they just get to ride Smith the way they were riding him before. He has proven himself to be more reliable than Koskinen. We've never seen Koskinen have a a good extended run of play. It's been a long time, I think maybe two and a half years or so. I feel like I remember where I was when Koskinen was last having a hot streak, Uh, but Mike Smith is going to be the goalie that the Oilers would be very happy to ride. I think my only concern is that he's coming back from an injury and that doesn't make him any more stable or reliable, a goalie, right? So I think there's just at least a small reason to worry that hey, like you said, Mike Smith is no spring chicken. He's coming back after a, a layoff from being hurt, and whether there's some rest there or the injury is, you know, bothering him in some way or affecting the way he he plays when he comes back, then maybe Koskinen does get more of a sniff and closer to a fifty percent timeshare. But I really, uh, I like, I would be ready to cut ties with Koskinen pretty quick once Mike Smith comes back. And then if Smith struggles, yeah, I would look to add Koskinen uh, if it doesn't look like Mike Smith can carry the workload again. But uh, not to give, uh, like, I don't want to take Koskinen's due away from him, though. He's overall pretty good while Smith was out and had some really stellar plays shorthanded. But I still think this is Mike Smith's crease, so long as he's able to hold up in there.
0: Yeah, I guess we'll see. I guess if I was running the team, I would try to go 50-50 and try to keep both of these guys healthy. Since, like I said, I don't think it matter who plays in Nets. As long as they don't play absolutely terribly, as long as they only let in four goals or less, they're probably going to win anyway. Uh, by the way, Tyson Barry continues to have his time on ice bounce like all over the place. He had 14 minutes and 12 seconds versus Vancouver last week, 23 minutes and 16 seconds versus the Rangers. So you have no idea what you're going to get from Barry, except it looks like production, right? Like he's still putting up the points. He had a goal and two assists versus the Rangers. That brings him to eight points in 10 games. So yeah, I, you know, maybe notoriously traded him when maybe I shouldn't have. I got Marsh So who scored another goal today. So at least I don't have to be tilting too much about trading Barry. Seems like he's going to like, you know, have a couple nothing games, but then give you like a big multi-point game to end up catching up to being similar to his point pace from last year. So I'll throw it out there that maybe I was like a little bit too nervous about Barry losing that deployment. Uh, Looking at some other Oilers and how they're doing, it's pretty insane, right? They're scoring so many goals. Let me give you some point paces of the top Oilers. So Dreisaitl, I don't know if people are aware of this. Dreisaitl has more points than McDavid at this point. Drysettles pacing for 189 points. McDavid right behind him pacing for 180 points. Ryan Nugent Hopkins has 14 assists and no goals in 10 games. That's an 115-point pace. Pooley pacing for 98. Zach Hyman's at a point per game, so he's pacing for 82. Then you got both Nurse and Barry pacing for 66. Even Evan Bouchard is looking amazing. He's got 6 points in 10 games. That's a 49-point pace, which would lead a team in points for defensemen on most teams. So, Brian, at what point do we like start believing in all of these points? Paces and think that they could all be for real. Like, you have you look at it and you're like, there's no way that like McDavid and Drysettle are 180 point players, Nugent Hopkins is over 100, and like Hyman and Puliarvi are point per game guys. But at the same time, like, if Edmonton's scoring all these goals, and like, are you seeing a reason why we should expect them to slow down? Or maybe is this potentially like somewhat for real and all these guys are actually going to maintain or at least somewhat maintain these insane paces?
1: First off on Tyson Barry, I uh, I don't want to make you regret trading him. I mean, you were trading not just Tyson Barry. You were trading away the angst associated with holding him while it looks like he was losing his job. He is down two minutes tonight at five on five, but he is holding down the Ford anyway with his overall scoring. So he looks okay. Uh, he like is seems to be in a, uh, still a danger to get yandled at some point this season, but. Uh, he's in a pretty good spot on a team that's putting up so many points, as you mentioned, Elon and I'm not that worried about Barry falling below a sixty point pace. Um, but look at all the goals the Oilers are scoring. They lead the league in team shooting percentage thirteen point two nine percent. That's two and a half percent higher than uh, than they were shooting last year and two percent higher than last year's Pittsburgh and Washington squads that led the league in shooting. So that's amazing. Like they are just converting like crazy at an unsustainable rate. Um, And they're also going wild on the power play. The Oilers are 15 for 30 on the power play. They're converting at 50%. Uh, If anybody's able to crunch the numbers somehow, I would love to know the latest into a season. A team has been 50% on the power play. Like the most number of opportunities a team has had with the man advantage because that's crazy after 30 power play opportunities that the Oilers have 15 power play goals that said, I don't expect the others to keep that 50% conversion rate on the power play going or that crazy high shooting percentage. So I don't expect all of this scoring to hold, Elon. But I also don't want to take away the fact that Edmonton ranks second in the league behind only Carolina in all situations expected goals for. So they've earned a lot of this, but they're still scoring about a goal per game higher than their expected goals numbers. So I don't think all this production is for real. Am I willing to bump everyone up five points from their preseason projections? Maybe 10, sure. But 20 to 50 points? No, I'm I'm not going to do that. But I will take a swing on one guy to really break through his preseason projections. And it's not a new one. It's someone I've been swinging on since the start of the season. That's Jesse Pugliarvi, who now has 12 points in 10 games. Only two of those coming on that fire-hot power play. And Pugliarvi's five-on-five production looks like it could be sustainable. So I think a legit Pugliarvi breakout season is here. And I should also mention Evan Bouchard. He's been a revelation. He's getting in on the action thanks to earning more trust from coaches than I thought he would have been able to by now. And that's not to speak of Bouchard's own play. It's to speak of the Edmonton coaching staff's biases and tendencies that we've seen over the last few years. Uh, they haven't really tended to give a guy like Evan Bouchard a long look and a good spot. But here he is, and he is a must roster in, I think, nearly all fantasy formats. So if he's still in your free agency, this is a, as uh, as Ben and Lewis would say in this is a pause the pod moment and go check and see if Evan Bouchard is still available because he also is the heir apparent to Tyson Berry on that top power play. So if Tyson Berry really does stumble or make Dave Tippett mad, Evan Bouchard is just there waiting
0: in the wings. Oh, wow, interesting. I didn't think that Evan Bouchard was going to be a pause the pod guy for you. But I guess, yeah, he's getting all this ice time with these great players. So you got to expect he's just going to get these points. Sometimes you can just give it to McDavid, like I said, and watch him just walk through everyone. And you can get a free assist just like that. And that's also probably why that shooting percentage is so high, right? When McDavid dekes out the goalie in such a way that all of a sudden he has an empty net, that's going to generally yield a pretty high shooting percentage. All right, so let's go to another Canadian team now. That's actually uh, the next on the list here. So Calgary Flames also having a great start to the year. They're 7-1-3 and at the time of record. We've already talked a bunch about how great the top line has been. Goudreau, Lindholm, Kachuk, all having amazing seasons. Jacob Markstrom has been phenomenal. He's a 942 save percentage after shutting out the Rangers yesterday. He even has two bad games this year. Like he had two, like, sub 900 save percentage games, and he still has a 942 save percentage. So that just goes to show how good he's been aside from those two, you know, rougher outings. Brian, are we, though, I'm looking at Calgary and I'm starting to get reminded of basically the Boston Bruins from a few, you know, the last few years where we have a top line that's total fire and then the rest of the team, at least in terms of the forwards, seem like pretty much streams at best. I know you're going to say, Brian, let me just cut you off, I know you're going to say David Krejci was also, okay, so forgetting about David Krejci, but you know what I mean, like the general idea that most of the Bruins were generally not worth rostering outside of the top line. Like, I'm looking at the next best forwards that you might want to have on Yahoo, uh, in terms of percentage roster, we've got Andrew Manchapani. He's 56% rostered. He had that crazy start. But, you know, as we predicted, I think I was doing a show with Lewis, a short shifts where we were looking at how like a lot of his goals were in games where he'd have like one shot in that game. And he'd score a goal or two shots in that game and score two goals. Uh, so the goals have stopped coming, which makes sense because he's only taken four shots now in his last five games. You're not going to expect someone to score goals when they're barely shooting a, a uh, shot per game or even less than a shot per game. He has two assists in that time, but still like Manjipani hasn't really been worth rostering in fantasy league since that hot start. Uh Blake Coleman, he's 45% rostered. I think a lot of that is still because of the preseason when we thought that Coleman would be playing on the top line with Lindholm and Kachuk before Goudreau took that spot. Uh I don't really see a reason to be holding on to Blake Coleman at this point. He's pointless in his last four games. He doesn't get any power play time like first or second unit. He's playing on even strength with Backlund and Pitlick. Like I just don't see anything exciting about Blake coleman uh then you go down actually um sean Monahan's only 28 percent rostered i was i would have expected monaghan would be higher than manjapani and coleman but i guess not and i guess for good reason he hasn't gotten many points this year though he's actually kind of doing well lately he has five points in his last six games all on the power play believe it or not. So it's just like Monahan. Yeah, he's playing with bad linemates at even strength. He seems to stink at even strength. But if you're playing with the red hot Kachuk, Goudreau and Lindholm on the power play, I guess you're going to be able to make hay. And that's exactly what he's done. So Brian of like Manjapani, Coleman, Monahan, are you with me that kind of like no one is worth holding long term on this team aside from the top line in terms of the forwards?
1: Yes, I am with you. I think uh, if you're looking for someone else to have on your roster amongst the Calgary forwards, you know you do have Sean Monahan who's i I, I don't know if I'm right to say he's a premium version of someone like Jt Comfer or Alex Chieson or Nick Felino or whatever power play specialist type who doesn't do much at five on five. I only say Monahan might be a premium version because I think he is really dangerous on that top power play, can do more of the lifting by himself rather than, you know, not to discount those other names I just mentioned, but I think Monahan's talent level is there that he can create more on the power play than they can. I don't think, though, that he's going to reclaim a meaningful top six spot anytime soon. But it's nice that Monahan has been able to still generate some offense with the power play time that he's held on to. And then the other forward I'd consider uh, in Calgary is Andrew Mangiapane, uh, who's, you know, he feels like... Most like, and I think I've said this on a past episode, most like the kind of guy Mikhail Backlund has been in the past, both on Calgary and on fantasy rosters. Mangiapane is a good guy to take a streaming swing on, but not someone that's likely to make a case to be a long-term hold. He's playing with Dylan Dubé and Milan Lucic at even strength, so that tells you about as much as you need to know about how many five-on-five points we can expect from Mangiapane. There's really no one else to play with for him or anyone off the top line in Calgary, which is very reminiscent of Sutter's, you know, top end Los Angeles teams from the past. Remember that Kopitar line did so much heavy lifting, and then everyone else was just a role player. And I feel like that's what's happening in Calgary now.
0: Yeah, I'm with you. I think that at this point, you want the top liner bus in terms of forwards, which is re- pretty rare on a team that's doing so well. Uh, Lewis is pointing out that there's another name on the team that we should probably talk about. Lewis is here in the chat. Uh, there's a fellow named Oliver Killington, who's a defenseman no. on the team. No, it's Shillington. It, it's
1: spelled Kilington, mm-hmm. but it's pronounced Shillington.
0: I thought that Lewis was joking, like making a joke, like Shillington, like he's a shill or something. And it was some joke I didn't get. This is for real? No. That's his name?
1: Yeah, he's from Sweden. I'm not sure if it's like a, yeah.
0: Fair enough. All right, well, Oliver Shillington has been great. (laughs) He has seven points in his last six games. This is a defenseman who's not averaging too much ice time. Like, nothing I'm seeing is, like, I'm not seeing a reason why he's getting all these points. Usually, like, a defenseman who plays less than 20 minutes a game and doesn't get much power play time. Like, it's, like, a third-pairing defenseman. Not someone we usually talk about on the pod, but, of course, a good way to get talked about is when, like I said, he has seven points in his last six games. Is there anything here, Brian, like a Shillington a good player like is there a chance he could you know like uh, Rasmus Anderson hasn't been doing too too much and he's the guy holding the top power play like is there is this is there an offensive upside for Oliver Shillington where potentially he could you know translate all of these points into getting better deployment which could then lead to more points
1: well these seven points in 10 games for Shillington uh, add to his career total so now he has 23 career points in 105 NHL games Uh, He's been around a while and his star was a little bigger earlier in his career. He was part of the famous tweet about who Boston could have drafted three in a row between Barzell, Connor and Shillington is the forgotten third that they the Bruins did not take but did not turn into a superstar. So there there was some pedigree for Shillington, but I don't see a whole lot of upside at this point. For him, he is finally seeing more than 15 minutes a night for the first time in his NHL career, now that he's 24 years old. But I'm not... Uh, Like, yeah, you can watch him, but I think Calgary right now is just pouring on the goals so often that he's just happened to get in on them. The funny bit is that he played three games in AHL Stockton last year and had three goals in those three games. So like we see these like random bursts of offense, but over his AHL career, he hasn't been more than a half point per game guy. And I don't expect that to suddenly show up in the NHL either. I'll keep an open mind, but I'm not counting on it.
0: Okay, yeah. So, uh, probably we're just going to recommend to people that you probably have better options. You know, a lot of people, when they're deciding on their ads for the next week, are going to sort the free agents by like points over the last seven days or over the last 14 days. And for sure, Shillington's going to be at the top of the list. But if you're thinking, like, okay, let's just grab him because he's hot, maybe tweet at us or consider like some other options. Sometimes, you know, just because they got points in the past doesn't mean this player will continue to get points in the future. And Brian, I agree with you. I don't see much reason to expect, unless like his deployment changes, unless he's like convinced Sutter to now, like, oh, I guess this guy does have some pedigree and some upside. So, let me put him not on the bottom pairing maybe give him some power play time obviously then things can change but i don't think this can keep up with the deployment that he's been getting all right so we're four teams down we've got 12 to go and we're gonna get to them in just a sec you're listening to keeping carlson Okay, we are back, Brian. Let's go now to the St. Louis Blues, who are 7-1-1. They'd probably be higher in the list, except they haven't played as many games as the other teams we've talked about so far. The Blues are playing today, actually, so maybe by the end of this podcast, they'll be up to 8-1-1, because they're currently beating the Blues 1-0 after the first period on the back of a... Brandon Saad, goal. And I wanted to talk about Brandon Saad because he's someone that's actually available in a lot of leagues right now. Uh, He missed some time, you know, on the COVID protocol. But right now, he's playing on the top line with Ryan O'Reilly, who also just returned from the COVID protocol, and David Perron. So that's the place you want to be on the St. Louis Blues. So Saad, obviously very interesting. I guess the other place you'd want to be is beside Vladimir Tarasenko because this guy has just been nuts. He's up to 11 points in nine games going into today. Just a huge steal for anyone who drafted him, right? Like, Brian, could you imagine? It's so weird. Like, we had. All of these years, where on the podcast I was talking about, like, it would be cool if Tarasenko could, like, break past being like a 75 point guy. Like, seems like the kind of player that could have the upside to be point per game or higher. And you were always like, no, I think that 75 point pace is exactly where he's at. And now, like, this year, the year where we would have been, like, you know, laughed at if we were predicting 75 points for him going into the season, you know, like, I think most projections had him closer to 60 or 65. Imagine if then this is the year that he actually does the thing that we, he never was able to do before and is able to keep up the space and is, like, a point per game player or higher. Uh, he's been doing it so far obviously brian you're going to answer now and i'm sure based on the answers of all the other players i've asked you about so far i have a feeling you're going to say he can't keep it up but uh, what do you think so far of the start of, uh, of vladimir tarasenko
1: vladimir tarasenko is playing possessed still at five on five he has been incredible obliterating career highs in shot rates and the rest of tarasenko's rate stats they're right back up to where they've been before the rash of injuries that kept him out of the lineup for most of the last Two seasons. So, if you were worried that Tarasenko coming back from missing so much time, from having some injuries, from being disgruntled, was going to show any of that in his numbers, uh, you're wrong. He's proven you wrong eat that, says Vladimir Tarasenko to you. He has four shots a game this season, despite being on the third line. Uh, And because he's on the third line, obviously he can't put up the crazy amount of shots that he might be able to otherwise. But Tarasenko, if you're just looking at rates amongst all players who've played more than 100 minutes this season at five on five, Tarasenko ranks fifth in shots per 60 minutes and 13th in expected goals per 60 minutes. And honestly, Looking at the other names at the top of the table, Tarasenko is one of the only names I trust to really be finishing. Like, there's lots of guys up there who get lots of looks from dangerous spots, but they don't have this reputation for converting. Like, for example, Jesper Fast. Uh, I'll take Tarasenko over Fast any day of the week, even if Fast numbers are a little higher in his shot rates and expected goals rates. So this makes Tarasenko one of the most dangerous players in the entire NHL, despite being down a minute and a half per night. At five on five, but he's making up for that on the power play. Tarasenko is pacing for 37 power play points this season right now. That would be way above his career high. So you said, Elon, you expected me to throw some cold water on Tarasenko. And look, I I see reasons that Tarasenko can't keep up his hundred point pace, but I don't see reasons like. And this is surprising because, like you said, we were looking it, it, this season. Assuming some poor deployment scenarios, which he's kind of landed in, that Teresinko would be limited to 60, 65 points, I don't see any reason Teresinko can't keep being the 75-point threat he's always been in his current deployment, and I still think there's a chance he can add 5 or 10 more points to that total, which is insane. Given the hand he's been dealt, and you know how hard it's ever been to knock me off my Tarasenko 75-point lock-it-in pedestal, right? I've always been like, he's going to get 75 points, plus or minus two. He's never going to break out beyond that. But suddenly I'm like, maybe he can. He's angry enough to do it. He's healthy and rested enough to do it. I don't know what it is, but good for Vladimir Tarasenko playing amazing. I'd love to see him beat
0: point per game this season. And hey, uh right now, maybe he's not on the third line anymore. Unfortunately for St. Louis, Braden Shen is out with an upper body injury being evaluated in St. Louis right now, so we'll get an update at some point. Hopefully it's not long term. But while Shen is out, I'm pretty sure this Tarasenko, Cairo, and Robert Thomas line is now the second line, right? And then which is bad for poor old Pavel Buchnevich, who is down on the third line with guess Barbashev and Kostin. He's used to playing with Braden Shen uh when he's not out of the lineup for being suspended or or injured or something. So uh right now Tarasenko maybe we'll even see a little bit more. I time in the short term which could lead to more shots and more of all the good stuff that you're excited about
1: yeah that would be really great for Tarasenko and I also do need to like follow up on a lot the last time we talked about Tarasenko I said sell high and I still think you you can and should if you see anybody valuing him above an 80 point player Uh, but I think you know, I might, I might back off that I might feel a little more comfortable (laughs) with just holding Tarasenko and expecting 75 points, give or take, uh, and hopefully more. But that hopeful is strong enough now that yeah, I might back off the sell high. If you did, I hope you did really well and got at least a 75 point player for him. But you might want to hang on now. I'm like, I'm, I'm more convinced.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're already getting to the point where you're being like, now you need to ask for an 80-plus point player, it becomes pretty hard to sell. No, <laughs> yeah. oh, actually, someone in Kakaful traded Tarasenko for Panarin recently, which I think right. was a win for the Panarin manager. Oh, yeah. Sorry, the new Panarin manager. But still, Tarasenko, like you're saying, no slouch. So uh, no, no sadness with having Tarasenko in your lineup, that's for sure.
1: I will just add, part of my take for for selling high on Tarasenko was that if he does go to another NHL team, he might not be in like such a, a killer role because someone a contending team is going to want to add Tarasenko tarasenko um so that would be the only like that would be that that
0: reason still exists i'll just that's the whole picture okay we can move on though yeah okay but i mean he's currently been on the third yeah. line it hasn't been such I a know, killer I, role yeah how, how much worse could it get i don't know like
1: maybe he's not uh, a shoe-in for the top power play i don't know right
0: yeah. I mean, that would be crazy. Why are you trading for Tarasenko and not putting him on your top power play? But okay, we'll wait. We'll discuss that when the time comes. Uh, so I guess, yeah, covering this team, uh, what else can I say here? Tori Krug is uh, on the COVID protocol right now. So in the short term, anyways, Justin Falk is looking like he's going to be on the top power play. We'll see if he's able to break out of his cold stretch. And then, yeah, Robert Thomas is the guy centering Tarasenko on what's now the second line. And Robert Thomas has eight points in nine games. So I already talked about how Brandon Saad may be a good guy to stream in. He has four points in five games this season, already has another goal today. So make that five points in six games uh, robert thomas i would say would be my next favorite potentially available st louis blues forward uh, brian looks like i've got sod and you've got thomas in our keeper league we both decided to stream a blue for their game today and then four games next week so we'll see who does better between sod and thomas
1: it's uh yeah i, I like them both i streamed sod in in the cup just before he was out for a covid protocol and I, I thought i'd be dropping him but he's still on my roster and he's looked pretty good. And then Rob Thomas is like the same guy uh, who's centering, you know, Kaprizov or Fiala or Liney or Voracek is just, you know, he's going to play with Tarasenko. That's awesome. I want you. And he is also featured on, well, you mentioned the stream scheme already, but we'd like to do a little promo tie-in at some point. He is referenced on this week's stream scheme. By the way, Dave went to uh, 6 out of 10 last week. He's 4-0 and on the air. So if you want to find some good streams You should uh, go check it out.
0: Check the show notes for the link. Yeah, maybe one week I should just try to get all the players he recommends in a league. It seems like you'd do pretty well. Uh, Okay, so Brian, let's now go to the Toronto Maple Leafs 7-4-1. Can you believe it? Just a couple weeks ago, if we were doing this and listing all the teams by their total points in the standings, Toronto would not be coming up for a while because they had a bad start to the year. But now they're on a five-game winning streak after beating the Boston Bruins 5-2 on Saturday Jack Campbell stopped 42 of 44 shots in the win. Uh, Petter Mrazek is injured once again. Campbell now has an 9.36 9.36 save percentage in 10 games. So last week we talked about how like Mrazik was back and then you were saying how, like I was, you know, being like, oh, Campbell's been so much better than Mrazik. I wonder if he's going to be the workload guy. Then you said, well, I think the Leafs would be smart. So like, even if Campbell is better, they should probably still not play him too much because they don't want him to get injured. Kind of like what I'm saying about Carolina. But anyways, with Mrazik injured, it looks like the Leafs won't have any choice. So, um, and right now, Campbell seems totally for real, right? By the way, like 9.36 save percentage so far this season. He was awesome last year as we all remember he's a UFA at the end of the year I wouldn't be surprised if the Leafs try to lock Campbell into a multi-year deal pretty soon before maybe he prices himself out of even being able to like I know that right now Campbell's been saying in interviews like he likes being in Toronto he wants to be there so I feel like uh yeah I don't think he's gonna slow down like he's he's really good and right now he might become one of the most valuable goalies that you could have in fantasy with Mraza potentially out long term
1: Absolutely. You can have the Toronto starter jack campbell, who's who's playing well, and you're right. The Leafs uh, might want to look at locking him down. The challenge for them is that Toronto has six million dollars of cap space next year right now with seven contracts expiring. So you'd think they'd want to make Jack Campbell a priority. But I as they have been for the last couple of years, I think the Leafs are going to have to be creative to figure it out. Uh, in the meantime, I'm sure they're happy to just have a goalie they can rely on and count on. Touch wood to hope that this can last. But way to go, Jack Campbell and the Toronto Maple Leafs, who
0: seem to be a match. Yeah, and this team, like I said, is on a hot run right now. Obviously, a big part thanks to Mitch Marner. Who has been great? Like we talked about him after his cold start, it was like when Austin Matthews had missed the first few games of the season and Marner really didn't do anything in Matthews's absence. Uh, I believe we said on the show that now could be a good time to you know try to buy low on Mitch Marner, and if you did, you're super happy because he has 11 points in his last five games, that's right? 11, over two points per game lately after his one goal and three assist performance versus the Bruins. Also, uh, Marner's been doing something that's really been intriguing to me. He has four shots in each of his last three games, and he's a guy who, when we were talking about him on the show during his cold streak I was saying like the one thing I don't love about Marner is you kind of need those assists because he's not really helping you anywhere else he wasn't taking a lot of shots but if he's gonna be taking four shots per game or even a little less than that all of a sudden he becomes like a really valuable guy in fantasy who's helping you you know across the stat line also if you're taking four shots per game some of them are gonna go on the net uh, just like what's been happening recently is three goals in his last four games kind of reminds me like of Alex Barkov early in his career I remember that I really had this idea of him on Florida as like a really good player but he didn't take many shots he was like maybe like a two shots per game player and then just out of nowhere he just like all of a sudden turned into a guy taking like five six shots a game in some instances so it was almost as if like he just got like the door opened by his coach saying why don't you try playing differently take some more shots I wonder if something like that's happening with Marner I don't really have any advice to give about Marner or really a question for him just curious are you as intrigued as I am by this increase in his counts? So obviously a three games is not a large sample size but I'm very interested to see if Marner has changed something and if he's going to be starting to take more shots on goal as part of his game
1: first off at least let's summarize this was the cold. Oldest hot take I've ever had, right? Which was to stick with Mitch Marner, even though it was all Chicken Little in Toronto with the way the season started, and specifically with Mitch Marner, uh, he's improved, uh, and I think it's worth at least giving a little bit of credit. And this might be crazy, but to Alex Kerfoot uh, taking Nick Ritchie's spot on his line, I think I give Kerfoot some credit here. I think he's like a solid top six player. Who, uh, like adds some stability and is someone that someone creative like Marner can work with. I also think it's interesting that Marner is sticking with Tavares and he's not going to Matthews' line, which could be interesting for Marner's shots, right? Because Austin Matthews is the big shot taker and Marner is the disher in that equation. I wonder if Marner and Tavares have like a more equitable share of that. There's no indication that that is actually true yet. Um, Marner's shots are actually coming on the power play. Uh, So you're seeing this this slight uptick in his shot counts from being a three shot per game guy to a four shot per game guy. He's shooting more on the power play than ever before. So we'll see if Mitch Marner continues doing that. That would be nice if he could add that element to his game.
0: Okay, yeah, but very good call out that it's Kerfoot that's been on the top line with Tavares and Marner. Uh, Leafs play Monday, Wednesday next week, so there's a good stream for you. He has four points in his last four games, and then the second line for what it's worth, or maybe this is the first line, but Matthews, Nylander, and Michael Bunting. So it's Bunting and Kerfoot that are your players in the good spots on Toronto next to all of these superstars. Okay, next up, Brian, let's go to the New York Rangers, who did not have a great showing in the 6-0 loss to Calgary yesterday, but otherwise, they've gotten off to a really strong start. They're 6-3-3 and on the year. Uh, last week, we talked about the Rangers, right? We covered How Lafreniere and Kako should probably both be dropped, and we were definitely right about that. They haven't done anything in this past week. So I don't really have too much of fantasy relevance to talk about on the Rangers. So let's just give some flowers to Adam Fox, who's just having such an incredible start. He has 12 points in 12 games to start the year. I asked you over the last couple of weeks about some different players who I wondered if they've, like, now earned their way into, like, a first or second round pick in fantasy drafts next year. We talked about Svechnikov. We talked about Kyle Connor. Let's ask a similar question about Adam Fox. Like, is he getting into the conversation where he's the potential top D-man to draft in fantasy next year? Like, I would have thought going into this year, and I think in most leagues it was Kale McCarr, right, was the obvious answer. But he's shown himself to be a little bit injury prone. Like he's hurt again right now. And Ben and Lewis brought up a good point on the latest short shifts that I don't think this is especially likely, but Bowen Byram, you know, filled in really well on that top power play back on Wednesday. Not too much happened on uh, Saturday on the top power play, but still Byram is like a really high pedigree guy himself. So I wonder if there is always that small chance that Byram Wally pips Makar in some situations or maybe eats into a little power play time. Like Adam Fox, I feel like is so guaranteed. There's no one else on the team that's even close to having the pedigree of Fox like Fox is that top power play no matter what but Bowen Byram is like a really good player so all that said I'm definitely not trying to say that like you should be too worried about Kale McCarr but just wondering if now Adam Fox gets himself as someone that we're going to be considering doing podcasts next summer as the top defenseman to draft I, I know there's like a few names out there but I think Adam Fox definitely has you know inched his way into that conversation
1: you know I sorry I've been, I want to talk about Adam Fox
0: but you mentioned Wally Pipped do you know where that comes from it's a baseball thing. I think that the guy who broke the record, Cal Ripken, I believe? Lou Gehrig. Oh, no, Lou Gehrig. Right. Okay, that's a different... Yeah, Lou Gehrig broke a record for the most ever games in a row, I think, before Cal Ripken broke that record. I might be... I'm not a big baseball guy, but I think it's like that when Lou Gehrig started that streak, it took the spot of this guy, Wally Pip, who got injured. Am I right?
1: right? Well, well, he had a headache, apparently. The story goes, so he called in sick, and uh, then Lou Gehrig started a game, and that was the beginning of, like... I don't know a very long
0: run. We're not we're not baseball guys over here. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, like, also that story's kind of silly because maybe like the message of the story is like being like, next time you have a headache, 26. don't call. Like, <laughs> like I have a feeling that Lou Gehrig, this like all time famous baseball player, would probably have ended up taking his job eventually, like a couple games later. Yeah. But, Anyway, well, uh, I don't know. I I don't know if Bo and Byram,
1: yeah, would would do that to kill McCarr. I like I I don't see McCarr getting Wally pipped in with in any of the conceivable contexts. But yeah, injuries definitely seem to be a thing for Cal McCarr. And Adam Fox has been fantastic, as you mentioned. He is uh, shooting twelve percent this season. That's not sustainable. He is participating in eighty five percent of the goals while he's on the ace of five on five. That's also not sus- sustainable. But I do think. Adam Fox is someone who can go on these little unsustainable runs uh, and enough to the point that he has point per game potential, which does put Adam Fox up there with the top tier of fantasy defensemen. But to be fair, our incumbents, Roman Yozzi, Victor Hedman, Dougie Hamilton, John Carlson, they're all doing just fine, too. Thank you very much. So I, I wouldn't say Adam Fox has necessarily leapfrogged them, although maybe his upside is still unknown at this point, which makes him kind of exciting or more exciting than them. I think he's at least joined that group, if not exceeded them. It's just nice to see another high-end fantasy D option out there because there, there were a couple
0: lean years for us there. Yeah, Brian, I'm going to just say, I guess we don't need to get into a super long conversation about the Avalanche and their defensemen. But I will say, when you say there's like no conceivable like way, like Byron will Wally Pip, Kale McCarr, like, let's just remember that Bowen Byron is 20 years old, right? Like, Kale McCarr only started in the league at the age of 21. So he started as an overager. He's amazing. Like, I don't want to take anything away from Kale McCarr. But McCarr was drafted fourth overall in 2017. Byron was drafted fourth overall in 2019. Like, it's a similar pedigree. Uh, so I, like, maybe not now. Like, it seems weird now because McCarr's been so amazing. But, like, come a couple years from now, I think it's definitely. Definitely possible that Byron is potentially taking that top power play.
1: Sorry, I don't mean to ever rule it out. Agree. Bowen Byron is talented enough to court, We've had this conversation, right? He's talented yeah. enough to quarterback a top power play. He might be doing it already in like half the league (laughs) or even maybe two-thirds of the league's rosters. Unfortunately, he is stuck behind one of the best quarterbacks in the league. So we'll see if that opportunity ever presents itself to him. I wonder if it gives the Avs uh, like some flexibility, if they ever have the forward depth to do it, if they want to split two units, if they wanted to to run it that way. But that's pretty hard to do. Like, of course, you want McKinnon, Ranton and Landeskog together. seems weird that you would break those guys up.
0: Yeah, so I guess we'll see how things look in a couple of years when Bowen Byram is the is an age that Kale McCarr has actually been in the league so far. Uh, but okay, let's focus back on the here and now and go to the next team in the list of the top teams in the NHL standings and we get to the Philadelphia Flyers who are 6-2 two and 2 to start the year. This team's so weird. Like, Remember it was like two years ago, Philly was amazing and they looked like to be a cup contender. Then last year they were terrible and now this year they're starting off as an amazing team again and I got to... Say that Martin Jones had a great game on Saturday in the 2-1 win over Washington. He stopped 31 of 32 shots. That's his third win in three starts. They've all been quality starts. Martin Jones has a 950 save percentage overall now. That's like not something I expected to say anytime soon. Though last year, we do have to remember, there was a stretch where Martin Jones was looking good. It was a short stretch, but like he was playing well. Then obviously he collapsed just like the rest of the San Jose Sharks did. But uh, by the way, Carter Hart's like doing very well himself. He's got a 926 save percentage in his seven games. So both Philly goalies have been good. But I do recall some like scoffing at Philly. People were thinking, like, oh, you need a backup to help Carter Hart, and you're choosing Martin Jones. Ha ha ha, what a dumb choice they made. I, I wonder if now we'd have to start giving them some credit for maybe seeing something we didn't with that signing. Obviously, it's only three games, so you don't want to get too crazy. But Martin Jones so far looking like a very capable backup. Uh, so curious to know what you think so far. Is Philly looking good? Or are you still like nervous that Martin Jones is like a risky, you know, stream every time he plays, or is Philly, you know, such a good team? And has Martin Jones been good enough that you you know, if let's say you want to stream in a goalie on a given day, and Martin Jones was available and starting, is he like someone that makes you nervous at this point? Or are you starting to feel like maybe he's pretty decent as a backup?
1: I have a little more confidence in him just because of the team he plays for. Uh, you know, I think it's too early to sc- to scoff back at the scoffers who thought bringing Martin Jones onto the team was a bad idea. I, like after th- just three games, you know, a couple weeks back when Carter Hart was stumbling out of the gate, it was all. The more confusing, that's like, oh, and you only have Martin Jones and we don't know how well he's going to do. Um, but that said, for Martin Jones to string three starts together that are good. I don't know if you remember, but he did this at some point last year and we did the work. We looked at the last time Martin Jones is stringed together. I think it was three quality starts in a row. We ended up back in what was it? 2018. Or 20. It was a long time. It had been two to three years since Martin Jones had done that. So it, it's nice to see him doing well. We have left room to believe here on the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast that Martin Jones can be a decent timeshare or number two goalie on a good team in the right situation. And Jones has delivered so far with an above expected save percentage at five on five. And here's a fun Martin Jones fact that I tweeted earlier today at Keeping Carlson on Twitter. Jones is especially succeeding on the penalty kill. He has faced 17 shots against, and he's made 17 saves over 15 minutes of short-handed time. So his save percentage, his expected number on the penalty kill is 891, but Jones is pitching a perfect, uh, what do you say, 1.00 save percentage, perfect thousand. So it's one reason Martin Jones' numbers have been as good as they've been. But at five on five, both Jones and Hart, both look really good. So that's great. Let's keep watching. It's it's about time Philly had something go right in net. And I just <laughs> like, so I know a lot of Philly fans are just waiting for the other shoe to drop. Let's hope it doesn't happen. Let's hope this tandem keeps working.
0: Yeah, it definitely seems to me like Philly goes as far as their goalies take them. Like the years that they're good are the years when their goalies are doing well. So hopefully Hart and Jones can keep it up. Uh, and of course, since we're on Philly, sure, we could spend some time talking about how great Couturier, Giroux, Atkinson, Konechny have been. But okay, everyone knows that. Let's just talk about someone on a cold streak on this team and Joel Farabee, who after starting the season with st- three straight one goal, one assist games, he's now pointless in seven games, which is like, it's pretty wild, right? To go from like getting multi-point games over and over and over to all of a sudden doing absolutely absolutely nothing. He's been playing with Brassard and Atkinson at even strength. He's getting a very low amount of power play time on ice from the second power play unit, like less than 40% of the power play time, most games. So Brian, uh, you take a look at Joel Farabee. last year. He had a 57 point pace, which was considered a breakout by a lot of people. We didn't expect him to be that good. And then he had a hot start this year. So how much rope has he earned from that? Like good season last year and this hot start where we are going to say, I know he's cold, but I'm going to hold on. Cause he's shown us the upside. Like how much longer, do we wait before we start actually deciding, no, maybe he's someone that we can drop at this point?
1: Yeah. Well, that's, it's a great question. So let's thank you. Yeah. I mean, how long can we wait before writing him off? Uh, well, it, first this is kind of deja vu, right? For Joel Farabee last year, he had that four point game to start. Everyone added him on the second day of the season. I think that was because of Farabee's four point game and everyone was also just starved for hockey and to react like crazy to something Um, And then if you did add Farabee after that first four-point outing last season, he did nothing for his next 10 games or so, and then he got hot again, and then he ran cold again. Uh, So he he was a guy who was sort of on and off through last season. But the question is, right now, is Joel Farabee cold, or is he just not that great? And my answer is that I don't love what I'm seeing from Joel Farabee, and I'm tending towards the latter, just based on what I've seen so far. Uh, Farabee's shot rates... And shot attempt rates are down. His threat level, his expected goals are are nearly halved. Only eight shots for Farabee in his last seven games. And he has had no shots at all in three of his last seven games. So I, I think the deeper question here is why? Is this happening? Uh, and and that I'm actually not sure. And I'm going to sort of try and figure out the answer as I watch some more of his games and look at more of his numbers. But Ferby just does not look like a 60-point player, the way things are going for him. We figured this season, like we wanted to get excited about him, right? He, we figured he had breakout potential. The most likely case in my mind was going to be, okay, he's going to be about 55 points, but he has the potential to break past that. And now I'm going to say I, I, I think he probably is going to be below that number. So I would consider cutting bait on Joel Faraby in shallower leagues, just so we see something turn around. Because right now there's not a whole lot to love.
0: Yeah, the thing is, like, I just also have these memories of last year of having Farabee, dropping him during a cold streak like this, and then having him go off afterwards. So it exactly. makes it scary for me to want to drop him.
1: Yeah, so that, that's, like, exactly. So that's the whole thing with Faraby. Is that That's the problem we had with him last year, too. It's... Like, he was great, and then you'd go get him, and then he wouldn't do much for you. But again, right now, I'm just, I'm not seeing anything that makes me confident that a hot streak is coming. Uh, like, last year, who was he playing with the most? He was playing with J- JVR and Sean Couturier. And this year oh, yeah. so far, he's been playing with Cam Atkinson and Derek Brassard. I think that's a that's a pretty big difference. And I don't it's love It's a huge it. difference. Yeah. yeah. No,
0: for sure. People, by the way, still don't realize, I think, that Sean Couturier is like a superstar so good. in the league. So good. Yeah. Like, playing with Sean Couturier is huge and if you're not with Couturier that's going to be a lot worse
1: yes absolutely
0: all right so let's go now to the Columbus Blue Jackets they are seven Elon I don't want you to miss a
1: great segue opportunity Columbus actually had the well they didn't have the opportunity to draft Sean Couturier but the pick that Philly drafted Couturier with was originally Columbus's they traded it to Philly in exchange for Jeff Carter
0: Interesting. Okay. I'm seeing here Columbus trade Voracek and their first round pick for Jeff Carter. That's what John's saying here in the chat. And now Columbus has Voracek. Back because they had him before, so maybe it's just Philly and Columbus just like trade these players back and forth. But I mean, right now, obviously, Columbus would be very happy to have Sean Couturier, though they don't even need him because somehow they're seven and three to start the year. Even though I distinctly remember a beat writer interview with Allison Lucan in the summer where she told me that this was going to be a tank year and they're going to be terrible. Like, they traded away Seth Jones for like long term assets, it was a really good trade, but not a trade to help them like this year. And now, somehow, Chicago is absolutely terrible, Seth Jones isn't helping at all, and Columbus is off to a seven and three starts so just nothing makes sense how do you predict these things who even knows
1: well I can give you one reason that's Elvis Merzlikins with a 940 save percentage through his first six starts five of them quality he stopped 187 of 199 shots on goal and has a goals against average lower than two wow now that's gonna win you some games
0: there you go. And you know, Yunus Corposalo has held his own, at least in two of his game two of his four games, he's been good. So yeah, Columbus is getting better goaltending than Chicago, though Chicago right now is playing Nashville. And I've been kind of following it while we've been recording the show. It was 1-1 in the third. A very rare game where Chicago's not letting in, like, a handful of goals. So we'll see if that holds with uh, six minutes to go. It's uh, Kevin Lankan in the net, though, not Marc-Andre Fleury. So, I mean, that's probably not good. If you have Marc-Andre Fleury and he's, like, blowing you up every night, then you start to see that Kevin Lankan actually has a good game. That makes you even more, like, why am I holding on to this Fleury guy? So I guess we'll get to Chicago next week when we do the bottom teams. But uh, right now, I... It would be really hard for me, Brian. And we've discussed how maybe I like, just don't like having dead weight on my teams, and maybe I drop or trade people too soon, like uh, Tyson Perry, but uh, it would be so hard for me to hold on to Marc-Andre Fleury right now. But anyways, we're on Columbus, and the problem with Columbus is even though they're doing really well, they beat Colorado 4-2 on Saturday, but unfortunately, they did it without Patrick Laine because he's out of the lineup, and he's going to miss four to six weeks with an oblique strain, so... Hard to imagine... Stranger things have happened, right? But hard to imagine Columbus will be able to keep this up, losing one of their best players. Uh, So here are their lines from Saturday with Line A out of the lineup. They were rolling with Voracek, Cole Sillinger and Yagor Chinakov, who had two assists. Uh, that was Chinnikov's uh, first two points of the season. And by the way, Cole Siljers also scored a goal in that game and had two goals and one assist versus the Avs on Wednesday. So Cole Sillinger, another potential player that maybe would be in consideration for the Calder Trophy this year if it wasn't for those darn pesky Detroit Red Wings. Uh, so that's one line, Voracek, Silinger, and Chinakov. And then the other line that is of note has been Nyquist, Jenner, and Bjorkstrand and then basically nothing, right? Like Jack Roslevic, forget about this guy, total soon. I'm sure everyone already knows this, but like he's playing with nobodies. It's basically these two lines are the bulk of the offense. And this hot start to the season for Columbus, a lot of it has got to be attributed to Oliver Bjorkstrand, right? Because he's kind of quietly, like I haven't heard many people talking about him, but he's sitting now with 13 points in 10 games after his goal yesterday. Uh, Bjorkstrand, sure, he had a four point game to start the season. So that buoys that a little bit, but still after that, he has nine points in his last seven games. So it's not as if Oliver Bjorkstrand Bjorkstrand is a fluke he's shown us hints of being a superstar like superstar potential let's say over the last couple of years but he's still never paced for more than 64 points Brian do you think this is the year that he really has a true breakout you know let's say break 70 points this year like we didn't think it would be possible going into the year on this like tanking Columbus team I remember we were talking about some players like line a and you know Bjorkstrand and whoever Voracek and we were like yeah but I mean how many points can anyone get on this team if they're going to be bad but all of a sudden Bjorkstrand like I said 13 points in uh, what was it nine games to start the year and 10 games and I don't know. He hasn't seemed to slow down that much.
1: He's been great. Oliver Bjorkstrand is someone we've loved on the show for years now. Right now he is on fire. He's been on the ice for seven goals at five on five and collected seven points on those goals, which means Bjorkstrand's points participation is 100%. But... That's what Bjorkstrand does. He creates, he has an 80% points participation rate his whole career. So being in on 100% isn't even like that much of a stretch. Bjorkstrand is one of the highest points participants across the NHL. And I really like what I'm seeing from him pretty much everywhere in his numbers. It looks like Bjorkstrand has kicked his five-on-five performance up a notch, which is great because he's pairing that with... Believe it or not, yes, a nice improvement of deployment on the power play. Do you know that last year, Oliver Bjorkstrand saw a less than 50% share of Columbus's power play time? And it, it wasn't like 48 or 49, it was like 43%. And he pays for just nine power play points. But he still managed to pace for 64 points on the season. This is one reason why I'm so excited about Oliver Bjorkstrand, because this, is this year he is playing on the top power play and loving it. Four power play points in 10 games, a 33 power play point pace, which may be high, but it's still really easy to see Bjorkstrand adding at least... 10 power play points to last year's numbers, which if he just holds his five-on-five production would get him to 75 points. And I already said, I think he could actually improve his five-on-five production compared to last year. So you asked if this is the year Bjorkstrand breaks 70 points this year. I don't think the question is 70 points. I think it's 80 points is the goal that he has a chance to break that mark. I think Bjorkstrand has point per game potential uh, because I do think he can hold it five on five and maybe he add another like 15 power play points to last year's nine power play point pace. I'm really excited to see just how far Bjorkstrand can
0: push this season. Wow. Okay. So maybe uh, you could still reach out to a Bjorkstrand manager and, you know, someone who thinks that they're like selling high because like in the end of the day, it's all for Bjorkstrand and maybe you could get a still a bit of a steal, but the time's going to start running out. But yet now's the time that you go and get Bjorkstrand. Who was the player before that you said you would trade for Kevin Fiala? I forget. We were doing a comparison. there. Anyways, whoever that was that we said we liked Fiala better than that guy. Also, we obviously like Bjorkstrand better than both of those players at this point. Well, wait, so. we shouldn't say that guy. It was Duclair. Oh, Duclair, yeah. I don't know if you could actually get it. I don't. Know, this is like silly advice. I is great,
1: but you're saying Claire for Bjorkstrand for sure.
0: Yeah, I guess you wouldn't be able to do it. But yeah, if you have Bjorkstrand, don't let someone fool you out of him. He's very, very good. I actually have him in my dynasty league. I traded Linus Allmark for him in the off season, and you know, whatever goalies, it's hard to compare. Like if we won or lost the trade because different people have different values, and the person who got Allmark needed a goalie, and he's been fine. But I'm definitely very happy to have Oliver Bjorkstrand. Okay, let's let's next go to the Minnesota Wild, who are seven and three going into today. Though I believe they're currently losing to the Islanders two to one with only four minutes left to go in the game. So this record might be falling to 7-4 and four, unless someone on this team can score a goal soon. Uh, Zuccarello, the big news for Minnesota is they got Zuccarello back recently and that he's playing today for his first time in a while so far no points Uh, interesting to look at how the lines have shaken out I thought maybe Minnesota would go back to their lines to start the year once Zouk was back but no it's been Freddy Goudreau centering the top line with Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello's. that's not something that I expected uh, going into today or into the season Goudreau had a two assist game recently against Pittsburgh aside from that he hasn't really done much on the season so I wonder how long that'll last I would have hoped I guess for Ericsson Eck to be back with Kaprizov and Zuccarello but Ericsson Eck's been playing on a line with Kevin Fiala and the red hot Marcus Foligno so maybe that's new Not too bad of a spot either. Marcus Felino has five points in his last four games and eight points in ten games on the season. Again, going into today, uh pointless today for all of the relevant players on Minnesota. Keep in mind that Marcus Felino also pays for a 55 point pace last year. He only played in 39 games. He missed some time with injury, but still he was already starting to have a bit of an offensive breakout. So Brian, is there perhaps something here with Marcus Felino that we need to start acknowledging? Is he like potentially uh next Tom Wilson? You know, he hits a lot and now all of a sudden we're starting to see potentially at least like 50 point potential. Do you see it?
1: So last year, Marcus Felino had production that looked great, like you mentioned, but his numbers didn't look sustainable for a number of reasons, a lot of high percentages. This year, we're seeing the same thing from Marcus Felino, except he is seeing 70 seconds less of ice time per night. So I'm not bought in, seeing that he's lost some of his deployment. And his percentages still look like they're unsustainable, but I am open to seeing if Marcus Foligno maybe can hold some of these numbers a little above what we'd expect them to be at five on five in a shooting percentage and on ice shooting percentage. I'm betting against it. Because leading into this run, like Marcus Foligno, not new in the NHL. He's 30 years old. He'd already played 550 NHL games and put up just 170 points. So it would be strange to me if suddenly Foligno becomes this 60-point player who can score on 20% of his shots. And while he's on the ice, his teammates score on 13% of theirs. I'm open to Foligno being a better player than he has been before because this might be some new deployment that he hasn't really had before, like better linemates. He spent the first half of his career in Buffalo, and we know what that does to someone's numbers. And well, I hope uh, gladly not his career. So I'm glad Marcus Foligno has a chance here in Minnesota. Uh, But I think you're probably looking at a 45-ish point player, maybe 50 points, who, yeah, can throw some hits, which is what Tom Wilson has been for a long time or had been for a while as well.
0: Yeah, so definitely it looks like Felino, even as a 45-50 point player, he might be worth rostering in leagues that do count hits. And then we'll have to see what happens with this deployment and this current hot run. I have a feeling the lines may get shaken up. I was wrong, actually, this uh, Islanders game versus Minnesota, which I guess people are always like, why are you even talking about this in the middle of the game? By the time I listen to this podcast, the game's over. But it's actually the end of the second period now. So we'll see how the game turns out uh, and if maybe Minnesota ends up shaking things up to try to get some offense against uh, Samin Varlamov, who's actually playing his first game of the year. Brian, you drafted Samin Varlamov in the couple. How does it feel? to finally get a game out of him he's doing well 22 saves on 23 shots so far
1: yeah it's been a long wait for Semyon Varlamov to get a start especially the last two weeks because he came off IR just before that first one game week for the Islanders and he still hasn't played until now right ahead of another one game week for the Islanders so uh, Varlamov rosterers Better times are ahead with busier schedules. So just get through one more week of having a pretty useless Varlamov on your roster. And then hopefully he's going to be worth having held all this time.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree, and we'll get to the Islanders I guess in a little bit, but we can't, you know, skip the line, because the next on the list are not the New York Islanders, it's the reigning Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning who are now 6-3-2 and on the season after their drubbing, or I guess it turned out not to be too much of a drubbing, but they beat the Sens on Saturday 5-3, they jumped out to an early lead and the Sens got a couple goals near the end uh, I think, did I talk about this on the show or in the pregame show, but Andre Palat had gone three games without a goal or a shot so I traded, slash dropped him, like I basically traded him for nothing just to get like a player that I could stash on IR uh, who was it to get Tyler Johnson but whatever I basically like dropped Andre Pallat. so of course he then went up and put up an amazing game one goal two assists and six shots versus Murray and the Sens this guy goes from no shots in three games and then takes six shots are you kidding me anyways, Whatever. Okay. So uh, the lines had been actually shaken up a bit in that game. Palat was paying, playing with Point and Sorelli when Palat had previously been playing with Stamkos. Still on the second power play though. And Tampa does only play two games next week. So while, I, while I'm like sad to not have had that great game on Saturday, I still wonder if that almost was like a trap and now people who were planning on dropping Palat are going to hold on through two games next week where he'll end up doing nothing and people will wish they did just like follow through with their original plan of dropping him. So what's your take at this point? Brian is Palat. After this amazing game you know given new life and someone that you got to hold on to or would you still be concerned that he could you know soon have another stretch of three games with no shots and no points very soon
1: the latter the one you just said I think it's a really nice burst of offense from Palat which we can see but we've seen him have amazing line mates in the past at five on five and do like average stuff with them nothing exciting we saw him come to life last year because he got to to play on the top unit on the power play but that hasn't happened this year so i'm actually gonna animal farm my palat analysis here and say power play one good power play two bad that's it if he's on the top power play, keep him. If he's not on the second power play, get rid of him. I'd like, Or or at least he's a bottom roster streamer type guy in a cuckup deep league. In a shallow league, yeah, not worth hanging on to.
0: All right. So I guess I won't feel too bad just yet. Let's see how he does in his next game on Tuesday. And then it's a long wait until he plays again on Saturday next week. Uh, So, okay, next up. By the way, speaking of tough holds for next week, I'll just keep jumping back to the Islanders, even though it's not really their turn. Uh, Andres Lee, a couple goals today for the Islanders, and they have, like you said, Brian, another one game week next week. Uh, Also, okay, let's just do the Islanders. Okay, and then Brock Nelson had that four-goal game and followed that up with a one-goal game. So these are more like potential traps where I feel like last week and the last couple of weeks we've been saying, yeah, it's going to be really hard to hold these Islanders players with a bad schedule, especially when they're not doing anything. But now Nelson and Andres Lee are doing stuff. So if these guys are... Let's say in free agency, it's like becomes tricky. You have to decide like, am I gonna jump on these players who, you know, after next week are gonna go back to having normal schedules moving forward, or do you just like leave them and I don't know. What are your thoughts right now on like a Brock Nelson and an Anders Lee? I guess same as before, or have these like recent goal outbursts changed anything?
1: They haven't changed anything for me. I, I know Anders Lee is someone he and Matt Barzell, along with the goalies, were the only aisles I said were still worth holding on to for their last one game week. And Anders Lee was like pretty disappointing up until this moment. So he might not have even really qualified to be up there with Barzell. And now Brock Nelson has entered the conversation. I think Brock Nelson is absolutely worth rostering, but he's been a free agent in a couple leagues I'm in. And I think the reason is because he has five games over three weeks. Now you're just down to one game over the next week. And if you can get past that, then you're solid. So if you feel like you can survive, I think Brock Nelson and Andersley are both definitely rosterable for a full year. If you don't need them to compete short and long-term... Uh, like if you don't need them playing, but you can have them on your roster, then have them on your roster. Go for it. But if you really need to get the most games possible out of your players and really grind away on the free agency circuit, then uh, they're both tough holds. I would let them both fall until uh, until the moment that they're worth picking up again, which will be later in the week when they play that one single game, which will then be followed by many
0: normal weeks of scheduling. Yeah, man, it's just kind of annoying that you have to think of stuff like it this. It is, but, or maybe you could say that's fun. Maybe that's the fun of playing weekly head-to-head fantasy. I'm still, I still can't decide right now. I guess it had been so long since we've been playing fantasy hockey, and now I'm realizing, man, it's really frustrating when you have to contend with these schedules. It also, gets a little frustrating when you have a million players on the IR, as I know a lot of our patrons and people on Twitter have been telling us about. Uh, so anyway, but we, you know, truck on and let's go now to the next best team in the league, and they're the Winnipeg Jets, a team that Brock Nelson did score one of those goals against recently. Uh, the Jets are six three and two. On the year they had a rough game on Saturday they were already without Connor Hellebuck they lost 2-0 to the Islanders Elias Sorokin shut them out and then Mark Shifley and Paul Stasny both left the game with injuries and apparently they might not be serious like we're going to get updates on Monday so if anyone who has you know Stasny whatever I guess like he's generally free agent in most leagues but obviously Mark Shifley are hoping you're not going to have to miss more time with him after he just came back recently from the COVID list uh, I guess the player we really need to dig into on this team at this point is Andrew Kopp right like he's had such an insane start to the season he had three assists versus chicago on friday which brought him to 12 points in 11 games on the year over a point per game for andrew kopp this is a guy who broke out last year for a 58 point pace but unlike joel farabee he's following it up with so far an even better performance are we comfortable like saying at this point that yeah probably last year's 58 point pace andrew kopp is for real and now this year we're finding out if he's even better or do you think this is all unsustainable and the bubble's going to burst any minute
1: this particular bubble from Andrew Kopp is going to burst, but I, I don't think all of his production is a mirage. One thing I really like about Andrew Kopp this season, he's seeing another minute and a half of ice time per night at five on five. He's also got more of a power play role. Uh, he's up 53% share of the Jets power play time compared to 38% last year. The thing is, uh, that's about it. Like that, that's what he has going for him. And that's a lot. That's good because everything for Kopp... Looks the same as it always has underneath the hood but his deployment has risen and so is his success and of course it's also nice to play with nick ehlers and paul stasny on a legit top six line which he hasn't had the privilege of being a part of uh, on a consistent basis at any other point of his career right now andrew cop is overperforming because he's doubled his shooting percentage at five on five having scored like five goals on 25 shots his on ice shooting percentage is high too so what cop is doing right now is too good to be true, but he's had steady numbers for the last few years. His deployment is going up, so he just has more time to do the things that he can do and better plays to do them with, with Ehlers and Paul Stasny. So I think 60 points is in reach for Andrew Kopp, and I'd like to see him get there. It would be a nice little story because this is a guy who's been a middle six player for so long and is finally getting an opportunity. We love seeing guys get new opportunities, and this is a great example of one.
0: Yeah, Cop actually just signed a new contract with uh, Winnipeg in the offseason. They signed up to just a one-year deal for $3.6 million. I feel like the Jets maybe are gonna wish they had that back and could have locked him in for a few more years because he's definitely earning a much higher contract than three point six if he's going to keep this up for the season. Like you're saying, Brian, with the deployment he's getting, seems like he's going to be capable of doing that. So great job, Andrew Kopp Not such a great job for me. I feel like in a couple of my leagues, remember when like we all did our drafts and then there was still like a week before the season started and you had unlimited ad drops during those weeks and I was just cycling through a bunch of players as I was getting different preseason news, like just trying to land on someone who I thought was going to end up being the hold. And I think at one point. In both of those leagues I had Andrew Cop, and then just dropped him before I even played a game and now I really wish I just held on because he was definitely better than even like the Michael Bunting who I ended up with in one of the leagues. I like the spot that Bunting is in but Cop is the one who's really producing. Anyway, okay, next let's go to the Washington Capitals who are having a nice start to the season themselves. They're 5-2-4 and four, but they've had some bad news recently. Anthony Mantha is out indefinitely after a shoulder surgery. This is after TJ Oshi was announced to be out for a while so Washington is being hit hard but they're still finding ways is to win games, and a big part of that is because Alex Ovechkin is- is insane he's currently ranks third in the couple in terms of fantasy points for skaters he's behind only the two oilers mcdavid and Drysidel. he's averaging five shots per game like it's nothing like it feels like a lot of the games he has more than five shots he's just shooting up a storm he's now up to 10 goals and eight assists in 11 games almost a goal per game man did people drafting him late in the first round in their leagues get a steal or what holy moly and a 36 years old Ovi is on pace right now for the best season of his career what? And this has been a legendary career. This is potentially the career of someone who's going to break the record for the most goals ever. Uh, I mean, he'll probably slow down, but also he's Ovi, so I wouldn't bet on it. Like, I don't even, should I ask you a question? So are going to keep it up? It's like boring. I don't even want to. It He's is boring. Amazing. It's so boring because I'm going to tell you
1: like some things that are amazing about Ovechkin and some things that seem unsustainable about him, which is my usual style. I mean, I'll tell you what's amazing is that at 36 years old, Alex Ovechkin is putting together his highest expected goals rates since his 24-year-old season and is shooting more than ever. His power play shot rates are higher than they've ever been in his career, which is... Crazy! Why? Why do NHL teams, after what, twelve to fifteen, a fifteen-year career for Ovechkin, NHL teams are still letting him get the puck and shoot it on the power play? You'd think the book. I mean, this is what Washington has done so successfully, right? They totally trap you into not being able to go guard Ovechkin because they'll just do something else that's going to have an even better chance of being a goal instead. But it's crazy that no team has really figured out how to stop Ovechkin. He's incredible. Um, yeah, sure. He's scoring on 21% of his shots and his secondary assists and, and his five on five on ice shooting percentage. They're, they're through the roof, but he's also Alex freaking Ovechkin. So who am I to argue? Sell high? I, I didn't say that. You didn't hear it, but I'm just wondering if you have ovechkin you might but i mean what who are you selling for like alex barkov no i don't know i don't know exactly that's it what's the point like he has beaten he's defied age he's defied the odds for so long i think you just ride it and like it's like if um you know crosby or mcdavid are like performing above where you'd expect them to it's not like you go trying to sell them a high you're just like oh that's great i have one of the best players in the league and he's on a hot streak so that's that's where we're at with ovechkin
0: Yeah, it's pretty wild because, you know, there were so many years where Ovi was the clear number one overall pick in leagues that are like multi-category leagues, like like the Cupful. You know, he like would lead everyone in scoring and maybe the only player that you'd consider would be like a Brent Burns because he was doing so well and he had that value over replacement as a defenseman and now here we are, the year where Ovi fell like to, you know, the end of the first round in a lot of leagues. Brent Burns, like way down in the list and the next team I want to talk about is the San Jose Sharks who are 6-4-1 and Brent Burns is having another one of his, like, I mean, maybe not at the level like Ovechkin, like not like peak peak Brent Burns, but still, man, if I if I look at the highest ranked defenseman in a couple points this year in our format, you've got Roman Yosi, Adam Fox. And then Brent Burns, his two assists yesterday versus New Jersey brought him to nine points in 11 games. He also took seven shots in that game. The guy's averaging 3.8 shots per game, back to his dominating numbers from a few years back. Brian, we've asked about Eric Carlson earlier in the year. Too bad he's off on the COVID list. We haven't been able to keep up and see if he could keep up what he was doing. But we asked if Eric Carlson is back to the EK65 of old. Is uh, Brent Burns potentially back to the Brent Burns of old? So far, it's kind of looking like it.
1: It looks like it in his minutes. And actually, here's something else that's crazy. We just talked about Alex Ovechkin setting certain career highs at 36 years old. Brent Burns in his age 36 season playing a career high 20 minutes a night at five on five. You would think during Brent Burns' illustrious career, he might have played more often than he's playing this year. No, he hasn't at five on five. That's crazy. Way to go, Brent Burns and coaching staff for making that decision together. Burns, uh, to get these high point totals, he's he's got a lot of secondaries that are helping him get there, which, you know, isn't uh, isn't the number that you want to see the highest you want to see a player with goals or primary assists to feel like they're more likely repeatable. I mean, Burns does have three power play points in 11 games, which is nice, uh, especially when you compare it to him having had just six power play points in 56 games last year. So he's, you know, on pace to shatter that. Um, but I don't love what I see from Burns at five on five, like the on ice numbers while he's, while he's playing not great for the sharks while he's on the ice. And so I don't think there's a ton of indication that vintage Brent Burns is back. That said, he had a 42 point pace last year. This year looks similar ish. Maybe a little more success on the power play is coming and Brett Burns could be good for 45 to 50 points. Be nice if his shots continue too. I think maybe just because he's playing all these minutes that's helping him uh, throw a few more shots on goal but I'm not, uh, I'm not getting so excited. Like, I'm obviously more excited about Ovechkin at 36 than Brent Burns, but Brent Burns still showing himself to
0: be at least rosterable for now while he's putting up well. shots and power play points. <laughs> at least rosterable. The third highest ranked defenseman is, is at least rosterable at the moment. Okay. But yeah, you're saying you don't necessarily think he's going to be able to keep it up to this extent, yeah. but obviously anyone who drafted him as like the 10th or 12th defenseman right. off the board is laughing. You
1: right? probably That's got been great. great value for him. And like Eric Carl, just yeah enjoy it I, I I don't think there's much to do except enjoy it while it lasts and hope if and when it peters out he still holds some
0: solid relevance which I think he's capable of doing okay I mean, if you actually are really confident that he's going to slow down, then probably now is a good time to sell. I think that you it's not the kind of thing where you just hold because there's probably a lot of good defensemen that you can get for him. But I don't know. It's just like when someone's, you know me, Brian, I'm a sucker for shots. When he's taking all these shots, I'm like, let me just hold on because a lot of my leagues count shots and they're worth a lot of points. And sometimes those shots turn into goals. Those are worth a heck of a lot more points. So uh, I don't know. I'm loving it, but fair enough. Maybe these even strength uh, underlying numbers could be a little better. Let's go Brent Burns. Pick up the pace. Uh, Speaking of the Sharks, they sent William Eklund back to Sweden after his nine-game tryout. He had four assists in that span. Apparently he like wasn't happy about it, Uh, but I guess okay. Goodbye, Eklund. Nice showing and definitely a name we're going to all want to remember for next season because I have a feeling next year he's probably going to be just as big of a standout in training camp and he'll probably stick with the team. So don't forget about William Eklund in your one leagues next year uh in the meantime if we look at like who are the forwards on this team worth having in fantasy outside of hurdle meyer and couture meyer's obviously off on the COVID list right now but i guess jonathan dollin looks to me like the next best option he continues to impress he scored a goal yesterday versus new jersey up to five goals and two assists in 10 games on the season from his spot on i guess the top line with couture unless you want to say the hurdle line is line one uh would you say that dollin is the top sharks forward at this point to roster after hurdle meyer and couture
1: Yeah, only because uh, who else? Who else would you rather? Nick Benino, Alex Barabanov, Rudolphs Balsers, Andrew Cogliano, Jasper Weatherby, Nick Merkley. Like, there's, like, I I get what you're saying. Is that Jonathan Dalin has some fantasy upside, and he's playing well and getting some early looks, and and that's great. Uh, I like him as somebody who has a shot to, uh, like, come out of nowhere and be relevant this season. Uh, but like the just the frame of the question, like how it's not a high bar to clear to be the next most uh, rosterable Sharks forward behind Hurdlemyer and Couture. There's like really no one else out there. Maybe Rudolph's balsers makes themselves rosterable at some point. But uh, yeah, so I like Jonathan Dolan. I think that's that's the point of this conversation, right?
0: Ah. Uh. Yeah, earlier on, when I asked a question. You were like, that's a great question. I felt so good. <laughs> and I'm like, that was a terrible question. Even the way you were saying those names, you were like, Alex Barabanov, Rudolph's <laughs> Bolsers. Blech. I liked okay, it. Fair it enough. Made, it made fair it a enough. fun
1: question for me to answer.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, what, that's the goal of the show. All right, so next up, let's talk about the Anaheim Ducks. Again, like, we haven't even talked about, like, the Colorado Avalanche, the Vegas Golden Knights, like, all these teams that we expected to be so good. We're talking about the Sharks and the Ducks and, like, Columbus Blue Jackets. So that's the weird start to the season. We'll get to, again, all these other teams in the bottom half of the standings next week. And I guess I'll have to remember what the standings were at this point so I don't just redo uh, multiple teams. But anyways, Anaheim is next. They're 5-4-3. and three. They're actually playing today against St. Louis. Currently, they're at the end of the second, and it is 1-1. Shockingly like uh, all the Anaheim guys that have been getting points in every single game are so far quiet. No points for Henrique, no points for Troy Terry, no points for Ryan Getzlaff. Seems like this can't be a real Ducks game if those guys aren't getting points, right? But obviously they still have a period to go uh, in the last three games. Before this one, the Ducks have again. Like all the guys from last week that we talked about the run hot streaks, and Brian, you said you're going to have an open mind that maybe they could keep it up. So far they have. Like Getzlaff, a goal and four assists in those last three games. Uh, and I'll just give you all the numbers in the last three games. Troy Terry, three goals, one assist. Henrique two goals two assists Shattenkirk four assists Fowler three assists even Sonny Milano the one guy Brian who you were like met on you're like of all these names I'm into but not Sonny Milano he even has three points in his last four games after his uh, power play goal versus Arizona on Saturday so we'll see what happens today but yeah are we still I guess at the same point where it's like we just have to wait and see like it seems like it's for real but also it's like these names aren't players that we expected to be for real so we need to see more to really believe in it or i don't even i didn't really plan to ask you that question but i guess i'll just throw it up at you it's probably gonna be the same answer as last week it's the same
1: answer as last week but i'm happy to report that i am looking at what anaheim has done over the last couple of weeks like from a team level and i they actually look good they are fifth in the league in expected goals rates at five on five which is shocking, right? They're up there with Carolina, Pittsburgh, Toronto, and Calgary in the top five, which is fantastic. I don't see another team in the top 10 that catches me off guard at all other than the Anaheim Ducks. Um, their shooting percentage is not like out of this like weird or uns- like unsustainably high. So that's uh, that's really good. For them. Uh, And I think that's all I really have to say is that they keep chugging along. I mean, I don't think Kevin Shattenkirk is as good as he's been. And I think maybe some of these guys like they all have some piece, just like I said last week, that seems unsustainable. And so I don't think any of these ducks are going to keep up exactly what they've been doing. But Anaheim offensively might actually be for real. And this is the first time we can say that in a long, long time.
0: Yeah, really long time. Maybe since they, like, beat the Sens for the Cup, <laughs> however long ago that was. Yeah. Or no, maybe maybe not since that far back. But yeah, uh, unfortunately, the two, like, kind of young cornerstone players that everyone was, like, actually drafting in their fantasy leagues going into this year, thinking they had some upside, they're the quiet ones. Like, Trevor Seagrass, he currently has an upper body injury. I was kind of hoping that we'd have an update for today's show, but it doesn't look like we've had an update yet that I know of. So keep your eye. Uh, but yeah, only five points in 11 games now, with everyone else, like, going ham. And then also, we got to talk about Jamie Dreist. Dale, who's the top power play defenseman the only defenseman for the Ducks that was drafted in like any fantasy league that I saw he only has one goal and three assists in 12 games and he's been playing like big minutes 21 minutes and 27 seconds of average time on ice including 53 percent of the power play time playing with all these studs like I said I've been scoring all these goals uh Drysdale's only 19 years old he was the sixth overall pick in 2020 so huge pedigree clearly he must have been on the ice for a lot of these goals right considering he's been on the ice for more than a third of these games so does he just have a bad points participation score which would likely indicate just bad luck like i'm just curious if maybe this is a great time where you can actually buy lo- like it's rare because all the ducks are doing so well so maybe now the one duck that maybe you can get a steal on or maybe grab out a free agency before he takes off is jamie drysdale because he's getting all the ice time he's on the top power play he should be the defenseman you want the most not kevin shattenkirk and cam fowler who keep getting points every game
1: Yeah, you know, i thought you were onto something when you asked this question I'm like yes yeah, i'm almost certain his points participation is going to be down but it it's not Jamie Drysdale, he actually just hasn't been on the ice for a lot of goals scored. He's only been on the ice for three goals scored at five on five. And he's been in on one of them. Um, But I think that's a function of the Ducks only shooting 3% while Jamie Drysdale is on the ice at five on five. So I think you're right, Elon, that it's reasonable to expect more offense from Drysdale. Like I'm like I'm splitting hairs here as to which which metric is unsustainably low for Drysdale to, to keep him down at this low point pace. But yeah, I think he's a great buy low target because he probably could be seeing some more shooting luck happening while he's on the ice. And when that happens, he's gonna be in on enough of it to I think be a fantasy relevant player. So even though he looks like he's not one right now stay tuned i
0: think he will be well yeah and also the thing that draws me to him is that he's the top power play defenseman so you're talking about his points participation at five on five i'd be curious to know what's his points participation on the power play because they've been scoring a ton of power play goals why is he not getting any points there Well, oh, I, I actually skipped that part elon
1: because his points participation on the power play is 100 he's been on the ice for two power play goals and he has assisted he's been the primary assist on both of them
0: Oh. Well, I guess that makes sense. So I guess it's just like the second power play is better than the first power play. (laughs) Maybe the reason why he has a higher power play time on ice than like uh, Kevin Shattenkirk is because when Kevin Shattenkirk goes on the ice for the power play, he scores, his team scores, and then he gets off the ice.
1: Yeah, well, we'll have to keep watching and seeing if Drysdale does have success with his unit, like more. But yeah, he had, he's he been on the ice for only five goals all season long, and he's had points on three of them. So that's pretty good uh, points participation for Jamie Drysdale. And I think there's more to come at even strength and hopefully on the power play too.
0: Yeah, so maybe you can wait, I don't know, like grab him once he gets his first point. Like maybe no one else is rushing to the waiver wire to grab him unless they're listening to Keep Carlson as well. But I have a feeling that you're going to, at some point this year, wish you had added Jamie Drysdale when you had the chance. Also, I feel like I keep saying Jamie Drysdale. <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we do.
1: It's a, for some, We're tripping. We haven't had a whole lot of time to... We haven't practiced his name very often. And by the way, I also... Misspoke. Jamie Drysdale's been on the ice for six goals this season and has four points on them, just to be clear. So his, his points participation is actually too high.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's the opposite of what I thought. So just play better, Drysdale. Okay. Well, play better, Drysdale's teammates. <laughs> All right, the last team I have on this list to round out the top 16 is the New York Islanders. So I guess we've already covered quite a bit on this show. So I mentioned how the talk of the town is Brock Nelson, who scored four goals versus the Habs on Thursday and another versus the Jets on Saturday. Uh, then Andres Lee had a couple today. Uh, so you've, we've talked about how like Nelson and Lee might be the types of players that you're going to want to have after this week. It's just a matter of maybe you play a game of chicken with your league mates if either of them are in free agency. Try to just get this player as late in the week as possible, but still get him, so you'll have him moving forward. Uh, also, we talked about how Samin Varlamov Finally playing today. He's good. He sent me Varlamov. But he's while he's been out, like Ilya Sorokin, we have to say, like Brian, you said the like, good times are ahead for Varlamov managers. But like Ilya Sorokin has played all nine games of the year. So he's five, two and 2. And he's a 9.39 save percentage and three shutouts. Like Ilya Sorokin is like having an amazing, amazing season. If the if if he was like not on the Islanders, like if we weren't so sure that Varlamov is going to take fifty percent of the games, I would consider Sorokin to be an early Vesna front runner, right? Like he's having one of the best seasons so far, and we've talked about a lot of great goalies. It's just like. Uh, maybe barry trotz will just be like sorry dude i'm not gonna let you have this vesna because i'm gonna give varlamov all of or at least half of the games or like is there a chance with how well things have gone that maybe trotz just is like look Elis Sorokin is like clearly an amazing starting goalie why don't we just use varlamov as a backup and let's see how far Sorokin can take us like do you think he's earned more than just being a 50 50 guy or do you think they're just gonna stick with the plan and obviously you have no way to know i'm just curious to get your take
1: Yeah, it's been amazing to watch Sorokin do what he's doing. And part of me wonders just whether the Isles want to see how far they can push him. But I think that if that impulse is there at all, it will fall in line behind the Islanders wanting to play their goalies 50-50, which they've done for several years in a row now, including with the exact same tandem last year. At some point, it'll be time to pass the torch. But I I would be really surprised if Sorokin saw, say, more than a 55% share of the start. And uh, I really think the most likely scenario is that they both see almost exactly 50% of the remaining starts between them. So as good as Sorokin has been, I think we saw last season Varlamov is capable of just the same thing. They're both capable of being amazing for their team to the same extent and do that while they splitting starts. So I, I have a sense that's going to be what continues happening in Long Island. But it is, it is at least interesting to see Sorokin get an extended run thanks to Varlamov's injury and see, oh, yeah, he can handle playing nine games in a row. That's great.
0: Yeah, and Varlamov, by the way, has only played... 45 minutes as of now and he even has a better save percentage than Sorokin so far so it goes to show like I feel like trots is just stealing Veznas from both of these guys like, he should just pick one let them go get their Vezna because either of them could have like a world beating season if they got to play the same number of games as Andrei Vasilevsky though I mean it's, I should say like it's a skill to be able to play so many games and do well it's hard to not crack under that workload uh, so far Sorokin's done well it's only been 9 games uh, so okay by the way uh, Vezna odds I was just curious and I checked I found a site that had Sorokin at 25 to 1 odds. So it's like if Varlamov, you know, got hurt Late, you know, late in today's game, they said he's going to be out long term. I'm not wishing any ill will, but I would definitely jump to that site and place that bet right away because I think with Varlamov out, Sorokin would definitely have a good chance. Okay, so Brian, like I said, those are the top 16 teams. I just wanted to mention a couple quick things that you know I don't want to wait for next week just to get like really quick takes, or at least like make sure we're getting people up to date with all the fantasy news. So some big news out of Montreal before we end the show. We'll do a lightning round here. Okay, have the quick hits. So Carey Price is apparently going to be back with the Habs on Monday. Though if you listen to Ducharme's interviews, it's like. Yeah, he's out of the player assistance program, but like he's still coming off this injury. He's going to need to go see their like therapists. Then he's going to need to get on the ice and skate. So apparently it might still be like two, three weeks. So like, unfortunately, Jake Allen has been pretty bad aside from like a couple good games and he has a bunch of stinkers sprinkled between them. So on one hand, like, I don't want to be like, you know, okay, well, Jake Allen's still going to be your, like, good volume starter for the next few weeks, because he hasn't been good, but if you do have Jake Allen, he will likely still be a starter for a few weeks, but maybe start coming up with those contingency plans, because eventually, Carey Price will, you know, get on the ice, and we'll assume he'll come back, so that is just some news there. Uh, I also wanted Brian to talk quickly about the Vancouver lines just because they kind of went a little wonky for a little bit, and they even had OEL and Garland on the top power play, and then, like, Quinn Hughes on the second power play which to me just like shocked me to my core like it's not something I expected to happen this year but I do see uh today Vancouver is playing like basically they're starting right now as we're finishing a recording and I'm seeing that they in practice today I see a tweet by Thomas Durant saying that they went back to like a more predictable power play of Besser, Miller, Horvat, Pedersen, and Hughes so you know, and by the way, Connor Garland's back uh, in practice today on the third line. So Connor Garland like had this like amazing deployment, had a couple good games, and so now we'll see. I don't know, poor guy. This seems to, like he could. Yeah, yeah. The Vancouver
1: lines and power plays seem to change with the weather, right? Like I, I don't think there's anything we can really sink our teeth into, and I don't want to until we like remember the whole JT Miller third line center, and like it was happening in practice, and then it wasn't actually happening happening in a the game, then it happened in a game, and now it hasn't happened again since. I feel like in Vancouver, uh, like the lesson here is not to get too into anybody who's line dependent or really dependent on deployment, which I think, you know, Garland falls under that umbrella. Maybe that's not under any fault to him, but we don't know that he's locked into a top six spot And we know that he doesn't seem good enough to be fantasy relevant outside that top six spot. So in the meantime, I I think he's like a fringe roster guy. Good for a stream when you see him jump into that top six. But it is really, really frustrating to try and hold on to him or anyone else who you think just needs to be in that top six to, to produce in Vancouver
0: because it's just changing all the time. Yeah, well, they've been struggling. Elias Pettersson having a slow start to the season again. He still hasn't really picked it up. So hopefully they'll land on something that starts to work soon. And obviously we'll talk more about the Vancouver Canucks when we dig into them next week. Uh, of course there was the Jack Eichel trade, which Brandon Lewis did a great job digging into already. But Eichel goes to Vegas, and it's still going to be you know a little while before he plays. Uh, I just wanted to know, like Brian, any like high level thoughts that you wanted to share about Eichel finally getting out of Buffalo, going to Vegas. Buffalo getting a couple prospects and a pick.
1: No. I don't think so. <laughs> like, I'm actually, I'm really excited for Alex Tuck, who when he's healthy, he's going to have a huge chance to produce in a top three, a top line role. The role that I think he's been suited to play for the last two, maybe three years, maybe more, but has never really had the chance to do in a like in a consistent fashion. So I'm excited to see what Tuck can do. I'm just hoping that there's, like a centerman he can play with. Tuck, Olifson, and then just somebody in the middle. Please help these two guys because I think they're both quality. I think Tuck might be better than Olifson. And I'd love to see what Tuck can do now that he's unleashed. Of course, Eichel in uh in Vegas, we'll just see how that shakes out. The fantasy angle is if you have Eichel, do you try and get rid of him now? Or if you don't have Eichel, do you try and get him? And I actually, you know, I'm curious what you think. My, I, I, I don't, this is all assuming like your IR situation is fine. I don't think the trade changes anything for me with Jack Eichel. Like if I had him already, if I already wanted him, like I, I feel like you've already made this assessment. Uh, and if you've already decided it's worth having him, then it's still worth having him. If you decided it wasn't, then it still is not. What do you think?
0: I mean, I am not really sure how to parse exactly what you're saying, but yeah, I definitely agree like Eichel's not going to like now be like better than his high highs in Buffalo in Vegas. Like I think that probably he's an amazing guy. He's probably potentially good for like 90 points if everything breaks right and takes a lot of shots and we'll have to see how the lines shake out i know a lot of people ben and lewis talked about like is he gonna play the top on the second line it's almost like to me like not worth discussing that now we have so first we have to get him healthy then we'll get him into practice and then we'll start speculating on the lines but yeah he's great like eichel's really great if you could have him he's great but yeah obviously if you have to trade for him at this point then you don't want to give up too too much i don't know i mean yeah like eichel's great so i don't know let's just let's just move on uh let's talk about the uh, ottawa senators quickly we had a question from mops in with a zero in our Discord server, longtime patron at this point, uh, and high-ranking in the Cupful. I believe Tier 2, if if I'm correct. Uh, but anyways, Moss was asking about a couple of Senators, Brian, so I thought we could just quickly cover them because these players are on a lot of people's minds and you're obviously a big Sens fan, so you'll know the answer. So there's two players in the Sens who were drafted pretty high in a lot of leagues that are not doing that much, and that's Timmy Stutzler and thomas shabbat okay so let's start with Stutzla. only four assists and no goals in 11 games so far his deployment has been yawn city lately he was playing on a line with zach sanford and chris tierney in saturday's loss to tampa bay uh that's not great he's been on the top power play but doesn't seem like it's helping him that much. So, like, how long are people supposed to hold on to Tim Stutzler while he's not producing over in Ottawa and not getting the best deployment? And actually, another guy on that power play is Thomas Shabbat, who yeah, only three assists in eleven games. This is supposed to be like at least a half point per game guy with upside for like 50, 55. And it's not as if all of Ottawa's cold. Like, Batherson and Norris are having a fantastic starts to the season. Brady Kachuk has gotten going now that he's joined the team. But for some reason, just Shabbat and Stutzla, both on that top power play with those other three I just mentioned, not doing anything.
1: And the Ottawa power play looks to be okay, too. Like, I'm just checking, you know, their shooting percentage is average, and their expected goals rates are average. So they shouldn't be doing so badly on the power play. So it's unfortunate that Stutzla and Shabbat are having this hard time they're having starting with Stutzla. I will say like his deployment is bad. I was actually trying to buy early on him not long ago uh, towards the start of the season. Cause I'm like, Oh, he's playing top line. That's really exciting. And then he got bumped to the second line. I'm like, okay, that's still pretty exciting. But now you just mentioned Stutzla on the third line in Ottawa and There doesn't seem to be much urgency or inclination to play him, which is so strange. Uh, Look, a lot of what Ottawa does is strange, and I'm not going to start going down that road now. I don't understand, is all I'm going to say. So uh it is a really big bummer to anybody who has Schuetzla stocks and was waiting for them to take off because it seems as though the team is not ready to really unleash him and let him lose, which is a, a crying shame IMO because Schuetzla really showed a lot of readiness for that in the early opportunities he had this season. And then as for Thomas Shabbat, Uh, I think, honestly, I know it's been a disappointing start, but I don't think there's any reason. Like, I'm not seeing any reason to doubt that he can get back up to that. You know, last year he had a 52-point pace over 49 games. I see him landing in the same spot eventually. I know it's been a dispiriting start, but I don't see anything in his numbers to suggest that uh, he's suddenly a worse player or not going to do as well. This is just some early season bad bounces uh, not working out for him. I will... However, when we're talking about Ottawa, mention that Eric Brandstrom was called up today, which is not at all a threat to Shabbat. He was called up because Nick Holden, uh, a Sends defenseman, if anyone doesn't know who Nick Holden is, has entered COVID protocol along with uh, one of their assistant coaches, Jack Capuano. And so I'm just bringing this up to, I don't know, just uh, what can we do except keep an eye out when uh, certain like players on a team begin going into COVID protocol, I guess. I guess that's the moral here is look out for sense players uh maybe entering protocol.
0: Okay, so I'm to keep it's an not eye fun. on uh- yeah. yeah, of course, no. And uh, Brandstrom is someone who, well, at least at one point we thought had some offensive upside. So we'll see if he finally gets the opportunity that people have been waiting for. Another question, by the way, Brian, uh, in our chat here, Ancient K is asking about Artem Zub, who we talked about last week, was like on such a great role, getting all those blocks and hits, big minutes. Uh, but apparently, he like got benched for part of the last game. and Now people are all of a sudden asking if they should hold on to him for next week. Do you have any quick takes on Artem Zub? I mean, we're getting really into your Ottawa expertise. <laughs> well, here. And
1: yeah, and this is where it's really hard because uh, a lot of what Ottawa does is really. Be fuddling and i don't totally understand what's happening it's crazy that Branstrom hasn't been called up until now given the like the zero depth that the sends have on d why not give this guy a shot it's a perfect time um but that's not what you asked me you asked me about zoob yeah it seems as though dj smith wants to try and like they, he has two options right he has two good defensemen thomas shabbat and artem Zub. He can play them together and have one really good pair or he can play them apart and try and spread them across two pairs and like have more of a patchwork D situation. And I think that's what he's been trying to do, which would be bad for Zub's peripheral numbers. Smith seems to be a believer in Nikita Zaitsev. So the longer Zub is on that second pairing, the more upside Zaitsev might have for picking up blocks and hits and whatever other peripherals you're looking for. Uh, But that's that's the lowdown
0: all right great and uh, I guess I'll give another couple quick real little updates here from things I said earlier on in the show I was saying how uh, none of the big names on Anaheim had gotten a point today of course that didn't hold Troy Terry yet another goal a power play goal assisted by Fowler and Sonny Milano Brian so maybe it's time to become more of a Sonny Milano believer that's now like five points in five games I believe for him or close to that and then also I totally jinxed Samin Varlamov he's now led in two goals uh in since we talked about him like five minutes ago so all of a sudden now definitely Elias Sorokin is having a much better season than and Varlamov. Varlamov has now only a 906A percentage <laughs> through 50 minutes of play. Yeah,
1: let's keep updating by the minute.
0: Who's having the better season, Sorokin
1: or Varlamov? <laughs> live on a recorded show. That anyway, um, I thought you actually had a good comment in the chat uh, in the live chat a little while ago. Let's hear. Well, okay. Chicago beat Nashville two to one tonight, and uh, in overtime, and Kevin Lankinen was in net and looked like just by the numbers I haven't been watching, but looks like he had a pretty good game. And it's not going to take much to knock off marc Andre Fleury, who has uh, played in eight games this season and had two quality appearances. So, I, I, like, I think the door's open. It's interesting that Lankinen got the first start under the new head coach Derek King, and I think he might be someone worth watching. Not that I'm, a, you know, a big believer in the Chicago team, but we saw Lankinen do really well on a worse Chicago team last year. So let's see what happens.
0: Yeah, definitely a situation to watch. Mark is no longer the sure starter on that team, in my opinion. Uh, okay, one more thing I'll throw out there. I mentioned it like a few shows ago how Philip Hronik is like a big snoozer uh, and I think at the time he was. He was even getting benched for a couple games. I actually added him in the cupful this week, so I might as well let people know that, you know, if I call him as snoozer on the podcast and then I add him, I at least need to let people know that I obviously clearly don't think of him as a snoozer anymore. Not that I'm saying he's like a guaranteed guy that's gonna, I'm going to hold all season. I might even drop him next week, but he had a nice game today. Two assists. He's get back to get i think top pairing deployment in nice ice time uh, he's got three points now in his last three games so philip Horonic not completely gone yet like obviously sider's taken over as the top d on that team but heronic may still be able to be this like 35 40 point defenseman which has value in some leagues uh, so just wanted to say that but with that brian i think that That ends it. We'll talk more next week about all these other teams like Detroit and Montreal and whoever we've tried to sneak in here at the end of the show. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. We really hope you liked the show. We'd love to hear your feedback. You can even give us like uh, feedback, like uh, something you didn't like. Like, uh, you know, if there's something you'd like us to change or do differently, maybe we can be better. Every once in a while, I see someone post on like Reddit, Fantasy Hockey. There was just one this week where someone was like, what's a good fantasy hockey podcast to listen to? And then someone wrote, like, Keeping Carlson, which we really appreciate. And then someone wrote, oh, I can't listen to those people talk for more than five minutes they drive me crazy and it's like I'd be curious to know why. I mean, if it's just the sound of our voices, then that's probably not something we can change. But you know, we're trying our best to do a show here. We don't really have producers or anyone like you know giving us any feedback, and you know we don't have a director show of the show that's telling us how to do better shows. So you're our directors. Like, let us know how we can make the show better for you. And uh, we're doing this every week for the listeners, right? So tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. We'd love to hear your feedback. If you like the show, then we'll take that five star review over on Apple Podcasts. If you don't like the show, then you don't need to give that you know feedback on Apple Podcasts. That could come privately to us. Uh, if you want to support us, we've got our Patreon going. I think we have probably the best fancy hockey community in the world. I don't want to be like, you know, too
1: We definitely do. Braggy. I was actually, no, I was thinking about this a couple days ago. And, you know, like Twitter is really stressful. Like, it's not always fun. I always am having fun on our Discord. It's like, it's super. And like, I mean, I know I say this a lot, like promoting the community, but it's like the one non-toxic hockey community or even internet community that i'm a part of and i really really appreciate that like i know i can just go and it'll be relaxing and i can have a good time and uh avoid a lot of what else is creeping around out there so thank you to all our patrons who make it so and if that sounds appealing to you come on in everyone's welcome
0: yeah, I actually just made a new video, a little walkthrough of, you know, an intro to the Discord server. So Brian's going to throw that into our FAQ there. So now you can sign up as a patron. If you've recently signed up, check out the FAQ or tag me if it's not there yet. And I'll give you that video, which gives you a little sense of how to get, because you know, some people are like, oh, I'm not comfortable with Discord. I've never used it before. It's actually very easy to use. And hopefully this video will help out the new patrons. So anyways, if you're interested in becoming a patron, joining our community, we also have some other perks that are all listed over on our Patreon, keepingcarlson.com patron. But with that, Brian, I think we're done here so let's cue the outro music why don't you go ahead and read us the credits all right this
1: episode of the keeping carlson fantasy hockey podcast was presented by dabra hockey and powered by our patrons including our super supporters flash christopher andrea tom derek david rob and patty thank you all so much thanks as always to kevin a bear for all his help in our community thanks also to our team of good cupful co commissioners that's a lot of "k" sounds and thanks to shams who helps us read our at game day lines at game day news nhl and at game day goalies twitter accounts which you should all follow check our show notes logo art by brendanweeb.com. outro music by pat roach this episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dauber Prospects, Natural Trick, Evolving Hockey, Cap Friendly, The Athletic, Hockey Hockey Reference, Hockey Base, Hockey Database, Elite Prospects, NBC Sports Edge,
0: and Yahoo. Great job as always, Brian. What a fun show van and lewis will be back at you in a couple days with short shifts and then they'll be back at you in another couple days with another short shifts and then brian and i'll be back at you to talk about the bottom half of the league and do deep dives just like this one so uh, really looking forward to that and uh, brian i guess now you can officially take us out
1: between now and then and always actually just do what you can to make sure that fantasy hockey is for everyone